ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to Fresh Face Comics. This is the Comic Book Podcast, where a lifelong comic book reader guides his friend through the world of comics for the first time. My name is Jacob Licklider. I am usually the aforementioned newbie. However, this time, I am not the fresh-faced. And with me, as always, is the lifelong reader, Joey Morgan. Jacob, you fucking nailed that. I'm so fucking happy. <laughs> And and filling our 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 newbie spots is actually two returning guests to the podcast. Uh, both coming from from our bonus episode on this content, starting with one Mason Peters. Hello, everyone. It is so good to be back in Wisconsin. It's so great to see all of you. Man, what a great turnout! I fucking love you. <laughs> and Marcus Cotton. And the flies have all entered the web. See, Marcus, oh, yeah. Marcus did a good bit. Jacob, I was just too filled with fatherly pride in that moment. No, no, no. To, I, to I, I, was, I, I wasn't mentioning you, Joey. I was going, giving shade on Mason, who didn't do oh. a bit. Who I did, oh. Mason crushed it, too. You all crushed it. I love you all. I'm so happy that we're all back together. This is the Sandman family. I'm so happy that this, this is how this exists now. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, uh, for those of you that haven't listened to our, uh, was a bonus episode four of the podcast? I think it's four, um, which is uh, our the, where we covered the first season of the Sandman Netflix series, minus the bonus episode that came out after the series released on Netflix. Um, we all covered that on that podcast. Uh, Jacob and I have read the entirety of the Sandman. Jacob actually a little bit more than I have because... He uh, has read all the supplemental material and tie-ins and miniseries and all that cool shit. Um, Marcus and Mason, however, are relatively new to the comic side of the Sandman. Um, Marcus, I believe, so obviously we've all, seen, we've all seen the Netflix series. Marcus, you've also listened to the Audible uh, adaptation. And yep. Mason, I believe, I, I think you started the Audible one, right? Yeah, I started and I think I actually got up to the episode we're covering either that or we got like or, or or i got like one or two episodes past it okay cool and so um and so but today we're talking about the actual comic of the sandman there are so many different sandmans and they're all great um but this is uh the start of the actual uh series by neil gaiman uh the sandman volume one preludes and nocturnes this is issues one through eight of the sandman um I'm really excited for this. Uh, so also, this is uh, for those listening, this is the start of our three-episode Vertigo block. Episodes 47, 48, and 49 are all Vertigo slash DC Black Label comics, whatever you like to consider it nowadays. Um, this is the, the dark side of DC, as as it's come to be known. And uh, yeah, this I, I'm so excited to talk about this. And also, I'm excited that like our way of getting into this is a comic that Jacob has already read. Yes. Um, so it's a really cool way to like ease back into it for him, um, but also a way for me to sort of just get him in the right mindset for our following two episodes of where we're going. So why do I have a feeling the next two episodes are going to be even darker than this somehow? Oh, it's it's very possible, <laughs> depending on what your threshold for darkness in storytelling is. Um, yes. But yeah. So uh, non-spoiler section first, as always. Uh, Jacob, who would you like to uh, tell us what Sandman Preludes and Nocturnes is about? I want, I want, I want Mason to do it. Oh God! All right, all right, let's do it. Fine. So, <laughs> I, I, I'm pretty sure I also did the description of the TV show as well. That sounds like you just like took a shot before you said that. You're like, fine, let's <laughs> fucking go. Let's fucking do this. Okay, I have, I have like ten shots lined up for the course of this. It'll be great. All right. So, so Sandman. So the first eight issues we are covering covers the introduction of the Sandman as a character into this world, like his own sort of origin story, like the thing that starts him out in the present day world of the comics. 
And we also get introduced to the main villain of these eight issues, I would say, in like issue three or whatever. Again, I'm, I'm having a similar problem to what I did with the TV show is I'm not sure what's a spoiler because um, like, see, it is, it is kind of hard for something like the Sandman, I guess, because it is so widely known nowadays and the story hasn't really changed in, in the various, you know, ways that it's been told through different pieces of media. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I guess I guess that is difficult to, to decide like what is a spoiler and what isn't. Um, I guess what I'd say is like these are the issues that sets up the tone of the world we're gonna be playing in, sets up some but not all of the characters we'll be interacting with, and sets up like pretty key relationships that we'll be seeing throughout and like how people interact with each other. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah, yeah, definitely. Um I think uh actually I wanna throw this over to Marcus. Um what as someone that's experienced like every i think pretty much every adapted version of these early issues of sandman uh that 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 exist right now how does the comic differ from what i'd say like a lot of people nowadays would know as the adapted versions from the audible uh, audio audible audio drama uh and the netflix uh, live action show what would you say are like the key differences for those getting into the comic I mean, the big difference, really, um, because the Audible is pretty much one for one in terms of adaptation. So really, it's the Netflix series that's the most different. And it's just because the Netflix series is updated to be in a contemporary setting. So like, um, you know, the opening of the story has our title character, the titular Sandman, get imprisoned. In the comic, he's trapped for roughly 80 years. Um and you know so i think most of the story takes place in the 90s where as in the netflix series he's trapped for over a hundred years so the story can take place in the modern day of the 2020s yeah definitely um yes yeah it is mostly that timeline shift um and yeah you're absolutely right like for those that have heard like the audible version and and are like potentially wary about maybe going into the comic like the audible version is like a one-for-one adaptation from this comic only like, the it's it's full cast and stuff, but it is essentially an audiobook of the comic. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um yeah, a very, very tiny changes that only if you're like following along with the comic will you be able to tell like what the differences actually are, I would say. Um but yeah, I guess that uh that covers that. Uh shall we get into some Twitter questions? Yes, because we have a we have we have a lot. Yes, we do. Um so and oh, we actually just got some as I opened up Twitter again to look at these. <laughs> um, okay, let's start off from our uh, our friend Rachel uh, at Chelsea Shells. Uh, first off, says "Man me a sand?" Question mark. We will man her a sand. Okay, and uh, <laughs> and actually, the second is uh, the question that she she submitted is an actual question. Uh, what's the best least expensive way to collect the Sandman comics? So. There are currently the two least expensive ways to do it are either the three omnibuses um, or so the way we're doing it for the podcast is the original 10 volume release kind of thing. Um, They have recently been re-released in a series of five, potentially six rather large trade paperbacks, uh, as well as some deluxe hardcover editions. I would say find whichever format you like best, honestly. Uh, if you prefer and at, the, at the end of the day, like, you know, d- depending on like what version, what format you're collecting it in, um, it's going to come up, I think, to about the same amount of money, no matter what. Um, yeah. You know, if, if you're buying the, the, the 10 
original like trade paperback volumes it probably is going to equal up to like something equal uh, something similar to the first two omnis in price um same goes for those newer trades that they did probably what is actually the least expensive way to do it is if you're collecting digitally uh getting the trades uh on comiXology um through uh, in, a, in a digital format um that's that's probably the actual like least expensive way to do it i would say um otherwise yeah if, if you're going in you know like the entire thing then yeah, you're probably going to end up spending about the same amount of money no matter what if you're buying, like, physical copies, so. Yes. Uh, I would also recommend getting this on physical, though, because it is wonderful on physical. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, um, next, our friend Jamie, at Jamie underscore season seven, says, Are you doing this just so you can get Mason to read it? That is a lie, sir. <laughs> uh <laughs> No, the idea, honestly, I, I think I had this idea, like, when we recorded that bonus episode, I was like, oh, man, when we do Sandman on the podcast, we should get the same guests, so that we have, like, sort of, like, the same sort of connective discussion uh, from when we covered the Netflix series to now, and uh, I'm, I'm hoping it's working out okay so far. I like our dynamic. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Jamie, says, is... Jamie, oh, Jamie I, I read comics, okay? Yeah. I, I own a whole physical comic. Yeah. Okay. And just look at famed fresh look at famed fresh face comics episodes like episode thirty four, All Star Superman, episode forty three, what episode was it? Green Lantern Secret <laughs> Origin. Was it forty three? I think it was forty three. I think it was forty three. I, I wouldn't don't say it was that. I wish I could remember the episodes of my own podcast <laughs> off the top of my head. But yeah, that uh, was forty three. You were right. <laughs> Yeah, go me! Haha, ha. I'm, I'm kind of good at this. Um, Jimmy also has another question, another one specifically aimed at you, Mason. Uh, oh, did you enjoy the fun, lighthearted story about people in a diner? Oh man, I loved it. Uh, it was so much fun. I, the, the best part was reading it before I went to work at a restaurant, so it was just, you know... Are you serious? Great. Yeah, yeah, I did. That's yeah, fucked I did. up, dude. That's yeah, so fucked up. I don't know, like, okay, so... I guess small spoilers as to how I, like, ingested the story. Not Not plot stuff, but, like, I, I did listen to the Audible version before I read the comic, so I knew what was going to happen, but it was entirely different, like, seeing a visual version of it. Mm, yeah. And, just, like, hearing those, like... And, like, the one thing I remember, like, in the diner specifically, was just, like, hearing the sound and, like, hearing the narration and hearing the way that the characters say the dialogue they're given in my head as I'm reading it. Yeah. And that was cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Um Wow, that is such a specific experience you had. Oh my god, I love that. Um, let's see, uh, our next uh, set of questions come from our friend Kian, at Kian the Quark. It's just, it's just four tweets reciting the entirety of the lyrics to Mr. Sandman. And uh, I, I'm not going to read it out, unless someone else wants to. But, I mean, it's, it's literally... I, I would avoid it, because that might... um. That might end up getting us copyright stricken. Not if you just read them in a really dull monotone. Yeah, but I don't think that's I, I don't think that's an easy thing to do. I doubt it, yeah. Yeah, that's uh Kian, we appreciate the question the question question mark. It it it's the barrage of tweets, yeah, shall we but call the it? The answer is no. Yes, yeah. Um uh, Kian also says, such a shame Neil Gaiman never got to write uh, for Doctor Who once. He's such a good writer. Uh, I agree, Kian. Uh, Neil yeah. Gaiman never did get to write for Doctor Who. It's a shame. Um, See, okay, so now now comics audience. The joke is that Neil Gaiman did, in fact, write for Doctor Who. 
he did it twice. One of the best episodes of the modern series, and then the one we don't talk about. Yeah, that, got, that essentially that, got hijacked from him. That said, the Doctor's wife is fantastic. I love yes. that episode so much. Um, yeah. Uh, let's see. Our next had a question. Our next one question uh, comes from uh, uh, Josh at Uncut Laddie. Um, says favorite character. I'm gonna address that to everyone. I think that was specifically to you, Mason, but I'll, I'll address that to everyone. Favorite character and try to keep it just to preludes and nocturnes. Ooh. Uh, death. Death. Death is quality. Yeah, I like death. Death is great. She's great. Anyone else? Kind of. I mean. Thinking about it now, it's kind of going to like my favorite performance in season one as well. Um, Lucifer. Mm-mm. Quality, quality. Jacob, I, I, I like death too much. Yeah, I think uh, I'm trying to think. You know what? Here's the thing, though. My favorite comic book character of all time is John Constantine, and he's here in volume. He's one. here. He's so here. I think by law I have to say that. But if we're talking about just Sandman original characters, then yeah, probably death. Um, yeah. So. Uh, there's that. Uh, let's see. I, next up, uh, let's head over to Discord. A question from our friend Andy, um, Andrew, Andy. I don't know why I said Andy. I don't. Ta- we, I, I we don't think he goes by Andy. We were talking about a friend named Andy before this recording, and so when I went to talk about our friend Andrew for the podcast, it, fuck it, whatever. Andrew asks, uh, which which did you all prefer, the Sandman Audible drama or the Netflix series, Jacob? Hmm. Oh, that's like asking me to pick a favorite child. <laughs> I really should have tried to prep for this question. I've it's been here all day. Um, <laughs> uh, so if we're just going on th- the respective adaptations of Preludes and Nocturnes, I think I'm going to have to say... Uh, I'm going to have to say Netflix because Ooh. it under I think it understands the adaptation a little more, whereas the Audible production is ever so slightly limited by being a trying to be as close to a straight audiobook as it can be. But Jacob, um, does the Netflix show have Martian Manhunter? No, neither does it have Etrigan, and those are terrible losses. Exactly, we 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 lost a lot there, and and an actual like you know like one to one adaptation of John Constantine. So yes, you know. There's that. Um, for me personally, it's the Audible version. Uh, Marcus? Yeah, I'm going to say the Audible version too. Just like if you want another way to experience the comic. Because I will say this though. Like the Netflix series just in general is one of the best adaptations I've ever seen. Because it truly, I think, understands you know what it needed to change, what worked, what didn't, what works on film as opposed to what works in a comic. And I just, I think it, you know... Again, just to sum it up, I think it's a masterclass in how to do an adaptation. And uh, Mason? Um, okay, so I guess, so so again, I've heard like the first nine, ep- like nine or ten episodes of The Audible, and I've seen all of season one. Mm. That's an interesting question, because like, I really enjoy brutal storytelling, and I feel like The Audible adaptation captures more of the extremely dark and brutal aspects of some of the stuff that we get here. So I think because of that, I'm definitely more partial to the audible adaptation. But again, like I, I love the way that it was adapted for Netflix. I thought it was fantastic. I agree. 
I agree. Uh, Andrew also asks, speaking of adaptations, do you think Sandman would lend itself to a darker animated series a la Invincible or not? I've been thinking about this question a lot today myself. Um, I'm a little conflicted on that. I think a, that style of series could work for maybe specific stories in the Sandman, but maybe not the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason the Netflix series did the bone did, did its bonus with, with Dream of a Thousand Cats as animated. Mm-hmm. Because that's a story I can't see really working in proper live action. Live action. You know? yeah, but there are also know. things that I, I don't think would necessarily suit animation yeah. as well. I mean, I mean, genuinely, I think something like Sound of Her Wings may not translate the best to animation. Yeah. It's a story about deep human connections, and maybe you might lose a bit of that in the animation process. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think you have to pick and choose, because like one of the things with the Sandman is that it, it changes artists so much as the run goes on and everyone has kind of a very distinct art style and the narrative itself kind of leans into that. So I think it benefits to have some stuff live action and maybe some stuff animated. Yeah, I, I agree. I could definitely go for like uh, an animated series, like about some of like the, the one issue stories in this, like Calliope and Dream of a Thousand Cats and Facade, things like that. Um, I think could could translate really well into an animated series. Um, I don't know. So, some of them I just can't see translating the best. Uh, Mason, any thoughts on that? Yeah, and like the first thing I thought of was like, I don't think we really need one right now because I mean we already have two full adaptations going mm-hmm. of it for like audio and and again like they are doing a little bit of animation for the Netflix show so I think yeah. it, and it just like falls into the it depends on the story because I, I definitely agree like I don't know why but I don't know if I don't think I could see the cafe story working as well if it was animated. Mm, yeah, definitely. definitely. Like, Unless you went like super abstract with it, but then I think that would kind of be betraying what hits so hard about the story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. Because like it's 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 one thing when you're seeing it as a comic because like it's very like distorted and abstract, but like when you see it happening in real life to real people, it's just it's so affecting. Yeah. Um, did Mason cut out for anyone else there? No. Oh, shoot. Did I? Oh, okay. No, no, no. That was just me. All right. <laughs> That's fine. Um, all right. Our next Twitter question comes from, uh, let's see. Uh, Sean Franco at Sean Franco underscore says, this is the only volume of the Sandman that I liked because I thought it was the only one with a character driven and plot driven story. I wonder sometimes if that's because it has the strongest connection to, uh, to the main DC universe and Gaiman needed that kind of top down structure. Anyway, Sandman has e- easily influenced a generation of goth kids in the 90s as much as much as Vampire, The Masquerade and Typo Negative. So I guess my question is, is the appeal of Sandman purely aesthetic or is there enough narrative depth to warrant its influence? I am. And there is enough narrative depth. Yeah, I'm going to jump in here. There's this weird issue that I've noticed people looking at the Sandman, especially (laughs) after you get sort of past it's it's something that can happen when you try to read it volume by volume and aren't trying to see it as the entire 75 issues as one big story, which that entire 75 issues, we would never be able to do it as one single episode. That's to over 2,000 pages of material to cover. Mm-hmm. I'd argue that it's Neil Gaiman, this is all Neil Gaiman's treaties on stories, on the world that he's writing in, especially um, uh, rereading 
preludes and noctunes for this episode made for the first time really made a lot of his commentary on the AIDS epidemic in particular in these early issues really jump out at me. Um, and just understanding that it's a non it's it's a non traditional narrative. It's not going to be structured like your three act structure. It is a narrative that weaves in and out, that has some things to say, and even if things don't necessarily slot in as easily as you might think, there's a reason they're there, yeah. um, and, and there isn't a bad issue in the bunch. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, actually. I was, I was thinking about that um, the uh, the call out that he makes to uh, to it being more connected to the DC universe at large, and uh, and seeing how uh, how it was mentioned that there was more that like maybe that top-down structure was needed for i mean i don't know too much about sean's personal taste um in stories but uh but i'm wondering how that could be influenced by uh by by that larger like dc universe connection here and i wonder like what makes this volume so different from it from the rest and it's not like this isn't the only one where there are big dc universe connections yeah uh, I, I mean, mean, hell, one could argue that the biggest DC Universe connection is is in, like, the final arc, with mm-hmm. certain characters that show up. And, I, and well, also... Like, in part, the final, like, in part, the final arc happens because of a big DC event. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, okay. Mm-hmm. Which uh, isn't the story itself, but yeah, like, it, it, it's... Yeah, it's, uh, it, it's interesting. But, um, I don't know, I, I've been thinking about that question a lot today, ever since we got it, and, uh... I don't know. Just interesting. Anyway, I um, agree. Our last set of questions comes from uh, this guy named uh, the Mason two five six at the GD two fifty six. One, if you absolutely had to nitpick one thing, what would you nitpick, uh, Mason? I'm going to toss this question to you. Okay, so for the comics, I would say like I don't know. I don't know if this is a nitpick necessarily, but it's just. This is the one thing that I do prefer the Audible adaptation over the comic itself is there's a lot of narration and I think it works better as like someone reading you a story than when it's like meant to be a a more visual medium of the story. Again, the narration's great and it does build a great world, but it just like I prefer when it's done in the Audible version rather than the comic version, I think. But but, but but that's totally like my own personal taste because again I'm not a big comic person. Gotcha. Any other nitpicks from the rest of the group here? I will actually say, perhaps the biggest barrier to entry is that the first five issues are penciled by one Sam Keith, and Sam Keith's style isn't bad, but it is a style. Like, Sam Keith is a fucking legend. <laughs> yes, but it's also like if this is your first comic, like it kind of was mine. It becomes kind of interesting to try to read those first five issues. Mm, yeah, uh, Marcus, any it picks from you? Um, just one, a very small, minor one, but I'll actually save it to when we get to spoilers because it's kind of character stuff. But it relates to the issue "Sound and Fury." Mm. That's all I'll say right now. Okay. Mm. Um, the second question from this uh, GD two five six guy uh, says, "Do you prefer the comic or one of its adaptations?" Uh, Mason, I'd like to toss question to you. 
Mm, okay, so man, this guy asks really good questions. Usually, I, I think so too. Fun. Yeah, he's he's really good. Um, so I think that like again, this is partially my own bias because at this point I haven't read as like the comic is literally the bit of the is the Sandman that I've ingested like the least of because I've heard more episodes of the Audible version and season one goes over more than what is in this sections but like right now I don't know it's a toss-up between the Audible version and the, the comic version because I do I love the Audible version of the story so much mm -hmm. Yeah, like I, I like all three of them. I I don't know if I would call the comic my favorite version of it yet, but maybe I just need to read more of it. Interesting. Uh, anyone else comment, commenting on that? I prefer the comic. I love what Gaiman does from the word go, and it's one of my favorite just general stories of fiction. Cool. Marcus, I'm gonna say the Audible version just because I, I I personally like. Um, the picture that my mind creates when I'm listening to it over what I'm seeing in the comic. Hmm. Interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm a comic guy myself, but that, that's that's pretty apparent. Um, <laughs> uh, this guy's third question says, would you rather see this series be the larger DC canon or its own universe? Mason, once again, I'd like to toss that to you. Um, <clears throat> okay, so to, to slightly break the, the mold of like this, of, of this joke we're doing of someone else doing the <laughs> the other uh, questions. The reason I asked this is because, like, from what I'm aware, originally, like, the Sandman was meant to be in the DC universe, but then, like, since Black Label, like, it got the Black Label, does that imply that it's its own universe? Uh, that is a question for debate uh, among a lot of Vertigo and Black Label titles. Um, okay. It's still it, part of the DC universe. It's just. What goes on here is not affecting the larger DC universe and vice versa. Yeah. I guess, like, a, a better way to describe this, like, to ask this question would be, like, do you think the story is better because it is DC? Or do you think it's, like, just good on its own? Oh, it's very like, much good on its own. Yeah. Yeah, I would say. I, I, would, I would say is that, like, especially when reading the comic, you do have to be aware Throughout the entire run, because um, it only gained the Vertigo label after issue 50. So two-thirds of the story had been told um, in the DC universe. It's just in its own little corner. But you can, like, even past that, you can tell when things are in the DC universe. Now, I'd argue for adaptation into, like, a Netflix show, taking it away from the larger DC universe and the larger immediate post-crisis on Infinite Earths DC universe that it's set in is probably for the best. It makes it easier for a general audience when you're, again, adapting it separate from a comic book, which is already kind of just assumed to be part of this larger world. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and, like, and like, here, here, can I add one last real quick oh yeah. thing? Yeah, yeah, by all means. So because I watched the Netflix version first, I experienced the story with no DC connections. So whenever I heard the audi like the Audible version and the comic, and again, I, I keep reiterating this, I've only heard like eight, like I've only read or like heard like eight or nine issues at this point, but like the DC stuff feels a little superfluous. Like it's not like it's not necessary to oh, be yeah, there. Yeah, like it doesn't need to be there, but it's it's there because yeah, this comic was conceived as being part of the DC universe, and okay. um, yeah, and that was the whole thing. So yeah, 
Uh, before I get to this fourth question here, I'd like to just mention that the, uh, this this was this tweet was posted 38 minutes ago. Uh, it says, "Future Mason, did you remember your dry cleaning?" Fuck! <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> I left it. <laughs> Fuck! All right, sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, I got away from myself. And then, as a bonus question, uh, which member of the Sandman family are each of you? Um. Mason, I think you have an answer to that, considering you're the one that uh, that, that submitted that question. Any thoughts? Oh, oh no, I, I don't have an answer. I, I just heard someone say it. Like, I, I, I asked this question mid-recording. I heard someone say it, and I'm like, ooh, that's a good question. <laughs> I did not think about it at all after that. <laughs> okay. Um, well, I mean, I guess aside from the fact that I've, I've literally played Dream on the channel, I don't know. I guess I am the most emo one here of, of the four of us. <laughs> I mean... Um, Okay. This is um, this. Uh, so, are we just casting ourselves? As I, I don't which know. I don't know. We're most like. I don't know. I, I don't know if it's meant to be more like, oh, what what role can we play, or like, which one are we literally like personality? Yeah, that's Mason, elaborate. Yeah, I I don't know. The person who wrote this question was really vague. I don't know. It's it's weird. <laughs> No, just like like if if the four of us were the members of the family, which one do you, like which one do you think we'd fit the best like as the role? I guess. Well, I think that um, I think well, Joey's at least in terms of the podcast is obviously destiny. <laughs> you have the big book of what's coming. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um. Okay, yeah. Okay, so I guess, yeah. Okay, if let's go in terms of the podcast then. All right. Um, okay, so Jacob, who are you then? Uh, that's the thing. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Very pot. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. I was going to say Delirium, but I think Mason almost fits Delirium more than that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mason's definitely Delirium. Oh, am I Delirium? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't know what that means, but hell yeah. You'll know what it means eventually. Um, oh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I guess, I don't know, Jacob, you're death. Trying <laughs> 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 to bring humanism into the darkest situations? I don't know. Uh, is is Marcus destruction because he never comes to family meetings? I don't know. He's the, he's been the one that's been le been least on the podcast. This is this is true, I guess. But <laughs> I don't think Marcus has seen the horror that he's of, of the of the podcast and run away. <laughs> true, true. That's fair. Also, we're spoiling big plot points about later Sandman stuff. For the yeah! Okay, so, I don't know what any of this means. It's fine. Good. So this is the end of our spoiler section. I think this is our longest spoiler section in Fresh Face Comics history. Non-spoiler section. Non-spoiler. Fuck me. That, it's going to be a long That's word. the end of our spoiler section, everyone. That's the Goodbye, end. Everybody. Goodbye. Be sure to subscribe and rate wherever you be. Um, no, okay. That's the end of our non-spoiler section. I know how to speak. I know how to use words. Um, this is... Uh, if you haven't read The Sandman... If you're if you're one of those people, if you haven't read the Sandman, uh, go go read it. And uh, there are, there are multiple there will be multiple links. To, I think the different ways you can collect it. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm sure I will remember to do that in what two weeks time from when this we're recording this. Two yeah. weeks or so. Yeah, I, yeah. I can remember that. Sure, we'll, we'll 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 hope that I can do that. All right. Um. So, the, <laughs> uh, but read the Sandman because it's fucking great. And also, if you want to find out what we're covering next time on the podcast, uh, that will also be in the description below or you could just skip to the end of the episode if you don't want to hear spoilers or we, we will have three whole guesses because we have two guests 
on what's coming next. That's true. Oh, that's going to be fun. I can't wait to see what you guys come up with. Um, so yeah, uh, in the meantime, uh, we will also have social and link tree links uh, to the fine people on this podcast, not including myself, of course, uh, in the description below. Um, I'm really going off the rails here. We're going to get into our spoiler section now. So if you haven't read The Sandman, go away or stay anyway, because viewership is always helpful. Um, yeah. So let's uh, let's let's you know, the one thing I do want as we start this spoiler section is before we even really get into any plot points, can I want to know what Marcus and Mason thought of Dave McKean's stunning covers? Um. So they are all gorgeous. Like, I think I'll talk. I think I'll point out my favorite one when we get there. It's kind of tough to tell, but I think personally, even though they're all abstract to a degree, I like the ones that more strongly tie into what the issue is about than the more than again just the more out there ones. Like, I think off the top of my head, the cover for Passengers is probably my least favorite. Mm. Okay. I mean, McKean's whole style is is just completely abstract. And, and none of these are 2D covers. These are all... These were red. etched on wood, I believe. Yeah, these are all large wood cuts that he did, at least God, for the I, first I fucking five. love McKean so much. He um, did not need to go that hard. It's no wonder why he rarely ever does interiors, but when he does interiors, he goes so hard. Um... Also worth noting that Dave McKean is, I think, mostly retired these days, right? But he came out of retirement to do the same man credits for the Netflix series. Yes. Uh, which is yes, really, he did. really cool. Yeah, he's awesome. Um, also, just his Hellblazer issues that he did, did the interiors for. No, he did, I, think, I think he only did one issue of the interiors. Um, but he's done a couple other covers over the years. And they're fantastic. I love those. And also, Serious House and Serious Earth is one of the freakiest Batman stories ever just because of his art. So that's neither here nor there. Let's get into issue one of the Sandman. Wait, Mason didn't oh, say Mason, it. Yes. Oh my God. I'm so far gone already. This <laughs> Mason, go ahead. <laughs> I agree. Thank you. No, 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 I'm joking. So like, <laughs> I, I like the art style for it. It's very, it's very distinctive. Like the way that the formatting works with the, the like different photos and like just the way that it, like meshes together and like it just it feels so sandman and like it's just really impressive as to how quickly they were able to just find a style that worked so well mm, totally totally <clears throat> oh man i mean there there is of course the neo gaiman theory that these people actually exist and uh <laughs> so so they had a distinctive style they had something to work off of for these covers and mm. the interiors <laughs> Yeah. Um it, it, it's it's a really fun idea that that Neil Gaiman and a couple other people that have worked on the comic have claimed to have actually met people from this comic. So Yeah, oh, I, cool. I mean I've heard the Alan Moore story and yeah, about how he actually met John Constantine. Yeah. <laughs> Great. <laughs> oh, it's, oh, it's so fucking nuts. I love it. <laughs> because Alan Moore is a wizard and we do not need to Alan Moore is his a wizard. Greatness. I oh, I believe great. he conjured John Constantine into existence. Um wow. Um so, 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 so beginning now, proper now with Sandman issue one. Uh, oh, what's it called? Oh my god, Sleep um, of the Just, Sleep of the Just. I should know that because it's named after an Elvis Costello song, anyway. <laughs> um, which is a great song, you should listen to that. I'm gonna stop trying to interject on things, someone else take away the plot in on this one. <laughs> yeah, so we open with 
It takes us a while for our titular character to show up, honestly, as we open on June the 6th, 1916, Witchcross, England, where a Dr. John Hathaway is coming to speak with a Mr. Roderick Burgess. Uh, And immediately, the layouts are incredibly inconsistent in the absolute best way. Um, kind of really giving you this Victor- this almost Edwardian Victorian sense um, I mean, of what existence. It's, what it's sort of doing is, is it's like, it's, it's portraying a, a fairly normal scene. It's, it's, you know, guy gets out of a car, he walks up to a door, guy answers the door, there's a conversation, but it's the layouts of the pages and the, and the artwork that Sam Keith does that really makes the scene abstract there's nothing weird about the scene itself uh, but it's the way that it's portrayed that makes it weird yes uh and it i mean is, it is something that does take some getting used to though like there like in later yeah. issues um there were a few instances where i didn't realize until i read to the bottom of the page that i had just read the panels out of order mm, yeah oh yeah. You, mean, you mean like with like two page spreads and all that yeah, like sometimes the, an entire scene will go across both pages, and sometimes it'll go top to bottom. And yeah, yes, the um, nature of comics. <laughs> and what's interesting that I've always found interesting is these little flashes in between. Um, essentially, as Burgess basically tells Doctor Hathaway has requested this book, this Magdalene Grimoire. Uh, that they are going to be holding a ceremony at the next full moon. And then we see four people in various states of the world. One hearing a bedtime story. One sleeping with his family. One in the trenches getting ready to go over the top. And one just dreaming of a tall, dark man. His eyes burn like tw- the twin, like twin stars in her head. Um, fucking Neil Gaiman, man. <laughs> just yeah, right, just right away, the way he it's words. It's so hard to not just read Neil Gaiman's prose verbatim. Oh my god! And yeah, we, oh, it's, it's we we will cool. resist as much as we can, but we make no promises. This uh, is true. And, and so, what Gaiman's doing here so early on is because this is going to be a story that affects the entire world. We need that those anchor points. Those these four anchor points. Three of which are arguably not important outside of this issue. They, you know, they don't contribute. They don't continue. One of them ends up becoming integral for the rest of the entire story. But these are also just three people who are about to have their lives completely upended by accident. Um, But in between this, we have... A small scene between Roderick Burgess and his son, Alex, where we find out quite a bit about who Burgess is, find out how kind of fearful Alex is as a boy, as we are guided then through this ceremony with this coven of mad, of, you know, mad magicians uh, taking fairly esoteric, uh, fairly esoteric things um, a knife from under the hills and a stick that I stuck through a dead man's eye, a claw ripped from a rat, a name, and the name is lost. I give you the blood from out of my vein and a feather I pulled from an angel's wings. 
all to do a summoning, and the summoning happens. The intent is to summon death. Uh, Dr. John Hathaway has lost his son in, in the Great War, and Roderick Burgess just wants immortality. He, he's a madman who wants immortality. And this is all before we get to the actual title page with our inhuman figure steeped in black, items of power adorning him, trapped in a circle where we get sleep of the just. And it's such fun. a great page. <laughs> um, Sam Keith is so good. Like, like, like truly, like yeah, you are right. Like the art, art style does like take some getting used to, but it it, uh, it is really... great art. Oh yeah, yeah. So uh, so such a talented guy. Um, and so yeah, so they they, they they did not get what they wanted, but they take Dream anyway. Um, we then see the effect that the taking of Dream has on the world. Um, as uh, as those as those people that we were following, those four flashes that Jacob mentioned, uh, uh, begin to fall asleep and never wake up, um, or stay awake and never fall asleep, uh, and it is quite terrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love the way that Keith makes the pat Keith and Gaiman make the passage of time happen quite quickly because we start to jump through history quite easily um mm-hmm. of... i've heard before that some people have a hard time getting into this first issue because it takes such a long time for any of the characters that we're going to be sticking with for a long time to actually get introduced or at least play a role in the plot um i was curious uh, throwing this to mason and marcus um did you did you find that at all or maybe because you were already familiar with other versions of the story that maybe that wasn't as much an issue here but um but how did you feel like reading this first issue in regards to that uh somewhat common complaint yeah, I didn't even realize that was a complaint because I, you know, I think I say this is kind of a classic Doctor Who fan. I love the world building that this issue does. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and like, honestly, I would say that I did have a bit of a problem with that when I was watching episode one of the Netflix show mm. because it was taking so long. But like knowing everyone, like like to some extent and just knowing where it's going, this time when I was reading it, I was just kind of like, allowing myself to get sucked into the world building so like when you know what's happening or like you you know what's getting set up it's much more interesting i think yeah and i think because of that you it's an issue that is rewarded i think by a reread um and so, so like, like it, it is kind of helped by hindsight. Like, you know, when you know where it's going, um, it, it can be somewhat more enjoyable. Um, I enjoy it no matter what because you know it is fantastic world building, and uh, Gaiman does a fantastic job just sucking you into this world and beautifully helped by by Sam Keith's pencils. Like, I love this page that we're coming up on here when um when you see the passage of, passage of time through Dream's eyes and you see him in that cage that he's trapped in. Um, I just, I absolutely love that. Um, yes. it, it makes normally mundane events uh, seem really dynamic. And uh, it, a lot of that is the artwork. And also just Gaiman's wonderful world, world building. I, yes. I do love the very stereotypical, like, 70s clothing that these people wear. Like, in each, like, in, in, in like, each of the, like, 1972, 1978, like, 1982. Like, that's such a 70s outfit he's wearing in the background. Like, his yeah. yellow pinstripe suit with his mutton chops. Like... Mm-hmm. Yes, so essentially what happens is in the immediate aftermath, Dr. John Hathaway we get, gives us our first hint into the fact that this is going to be a very mature comic, very dark, because we have a suicide. Yes. And 
he's written a confession accusing Roderick Burgess. However, Burgess works his magic, and the suicide letter burns. The police are baffled, and the whirlwind of time begins to pass. The sleepy sickness co- continues to spread. Um, a, a, a man called... Um, a man called Ruthven Sykes and Burgess's mistress Ethel Cripps, soon to be Ethel D, steal a dream stone. Uh, and we figure, and we have Alex figuring out that, oh, this, we, I think they steal all three things. Oh, they steal all, oh yeah, they steal all three things. Um, and over the years, by this point, we're in the 1930s. Uh, uh, we find, find out that the helm is given to a demon. Um, and this is one of the first points where I need to bring up Todd Klein's wonderful lettering. Mm. Uh, wonderfully unique lettering. Uh, Klein being one of the first letterers to really do this sort of thing. You see it more in modern comics, um, mm. where characters will have unique lettering. But we don't know who this demon is, but when they reappear three issues down the line, the clue to the, clue to the reader is paying attention to how the speech bubbles are written and how the yeah. letters are stylized. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I do have to say, I think that is a weakness of the Audible adaptation because I don't know if it's the same actor, but for this scene, they have a different voice. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's true. Mm, that's um, true. And also, not just that, but also, like, you know, the, the story was written to be a comic, first and foremost. So trying yeah. to get to other mediums like that, like, yeah, you do lose certain aspects of that. Like, literally, the speech bubbles give hints to our characters and where they're going. You can't necessarily do that on, on, on audio drama, or especially not on TV. Um, it's, uh, it, yeah, it's uh, it, it, interesting to look at, like, how a story like this is, is adaptive and, uh, you know, a story that was conceived as uh, such a comic booky idea. Um and uh, and how that translates. I don't know. It's cool. Um, yeah. We do. Sorry. By the time we get to the 1940s, uh, we have you know people still asleep. Unity Kincaid in a hushed-up scandal um, is taken advantage of and gives birth to a baby girl who is adopted that Unity will never know. Mm-hmm. And the universe realizes something is wrong by this point. And so the Sandman, of course, was conceived to be a revival of a Jack Kirby character called Wesley Dodds. That, and that here Kirby... he is. <laughs> Look at him. Look at That's Wesley really Dodds. Cool. Wesley Dodds of Night Terrors fame, right, Jake? Of Night Terrors fame. Yeah. Um, <laughs> because, yeah, I, I wasn't expecting us to have Wesley Dodds show up in <laughs> so many things in the same month, but it is happening. Yeah. Here we are, uh, which is really funny because we we're recording this only after Night Terrors number one came out, and by the time this video comes or this episode of the podcast comes out, we're gonna be what at least we're gonna be I two think more two. weeks of the event. Yeah, yeah, yeah two. So, yes, so I don't um, know where Wesley Dodds is going yet, but I don't know. Great to see him. <laughs> I don't know, but by 1947, Roderick Burgess dies, and his death is a fascinating page. Because it's not impl- it's it's not it's it's implied that this madman just succumbs to old age and well well facing down dream of the endless who is powerless to do anything, mm-hmm. uh, and we continue time with 
Alex. That, that is something I wanted to say too. Interestingly enough, um, you know, that's the re um, like with the Netflix show, the reason that the timeline of Morpheus's imprisonment is just extended by twenty years is because encephalitis lethargica. I just learned this. The sleepy sickness was a real thing that happened. Yeah. Um, mm. Gaiman is going to use illness quite a bit throughout this first arc, um, and the emergence of illness and how it's poor, how it's often poorly managed, subtly through allegory and metaphor. Um, we'll talk about more of it when we get to the third issue, um, because that's when it really starts to come into focus. But it is an important theme of these early issues of sort of this reaction to sickness and not properly facing um, disease. Um, which is there. Yeah. Uh, but we... Also, Neo Gaiman uh, next up introduces his first gay couple into the comic. Yeah. Um, so yeah. In, in a very subtle way, um, certainly not as explicit as other as other versions of the story. It's it's at its most, you know, like oh, you, you really have to be paying paying attention to the text because it's literally just the one bubble that says it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like, much know that Gaiman in a later issue, much much later, was like, I need to make this more explicit because my readers apparently don't get it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Just really interesting. I like that. And you have this idea of, you know, magic fading away. Alex Burgess making the same deal with Dream proposed to his father, but still getting the answer of no. And he ends up essentially going into having parties and people seeking enlightenment throughout the 60s and into the 70s. Always ensuring that there's no psychedelics, there's a guard on Dream, and Alex Burgess gets old as more and more of our victims um, pass away. Alex. Uh, I forget, did we get a full look at Roger Burgess's um, tombstone earlier? I don't think we oh, did, actually. We did. So, okay, well, I mean, we see it here. Um, I love the line on it uh, not dead, only sleeping. Um. Something that then Paul slashes through while slashing... No, Alex slashes through while slashing through his own father's portrait with a knife. Mm -hmm. um, growing old until one night in 1988. And, and uh, I just want to say real, real fast, it's so tragic to like watch this all happen from this kid's perspective. Like have this thing happen to him at like such a young age and just watching it grow up and then like him just watching it over and then like he literally just becomes his father yeah like doing like in the exact same role place. that he did for so long yeah yeah it's uh, like, like i don't really know messed up Ugh, like, i love it yeah um but yeah this uh in alex's old age he makes a mistake um and that's he's in a been. wheelchair he's he slightly turns and Ever so slowly disrupts the summoning circle. We have one of the guards reading Stephen King's It. Um, Excellent. This oh, highly recommend. The other reading The Sun, which I would not recommend. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, there's a, there's a break in the circle there that was containing Dream, and these two guards that are watching Dream begin to fall asleep. And we get the, the, the first actual look at i think like what a lot of the like a fair bit of, like the rest of the sandman will be like 
Um, Because I think, yeah, a lot of this first issue isn't really indicative of what the series is as a mission statement, but this is where we really get to see it here. And uh, and, and, and Gaiman Gaiman and Keith go out in full force um, to show what it's like. It's awesome. Uh, Dream is allowed to escape. He escapes through this guard's dream. Um, They think he might be dead because he collapses uh, and is able to do this to essentially re-enter the dreaming briefly, go through several dream dreams. Um, one of a man stuck at a costume party dressed as a clown. Um, when it turns out it wasn't a costume party, it was just a party with Marilyn Monroe, Elvis Presley, and John Wayne. Um, <laughs> he uses this opportunity to change the dream and eat some fried chicken because he is hungry summon something to wear and have his revenge and, and also, with those interludes we see everyone start waking up yes um all tiny moments that we won't see and then we have we find out that alex Burgess is, is doing what perhaps the worst thing he could be doing at this time sleeping. he's sleeping he's having a nap Having and, a nap, and so in his dreams, he we get my favorite. I mean, I think everybody's favorite sequence from the first issue. It, it, it's the best scene. Um, in his dreams, he's walking down this hall. He sees a young version of himself in a mirror. He grabs a cow, uh, a candle, um, finds a cat that slowly leads him up this flight of stairs and takes him to this room where the cat sits in a chair in this sol- solitary stone room. Alex enters this room as the child that he was when he first met Dream uh, with his father. The cat turns into Dream. Dream is a furry, I guess. And we get... It's so interesting. Because one, I think, does get conflicted. uh, Seeing Alex's whole journey, I think, throughout the first issue here. Um, And portraying him as a child in this scene, I think, is the most key aspect of almost garnering sympathy for the character in that like yeah mason you're right like like seeing him twist into his father isn't at all what his life was supposed to be but his but because of his father's actions um and what his father did a trapping dream and keeping him there uh it sort of forced alex to become his father over the years um and like i mean with him being a kid you i mean you can make the argument of like because of what happened with dream he never grew up yeah. Like he stayed who he was for years. He never changed. Yep. Which so is our, our which is our first inkling that a lot about a, one of the overarching themes of the Sandman is going to be change. Because at so this point where we need to establish who Dream actually is. We've spoken of him so far on the issue as an entity unknowable. And we find out that he is vengeful. He doesn't raise his voice, he doesn't scream, but he says he's going to grant Alex a gift to reward you for your years of hospitality. I give you this eternal waking. And we then see Alex Spurges wake up. Uh, speak to Paul, who asks, you know, are you alright? I had a nightmare. Uh, it's like, I had a dream that a prisoner had escaped in this tower. He was, he said... He has. He did. He's out, Alex. He checked out this morning. 
as his face begins to melt in this oh, man. green and horrifying Sam Keithery. Um, and Alex wakes yeah, up again. We it's even begin- more horrifying if you've had one of those nightmares where you think you wake up, but you're still mm. in the nightmare. If oh, you've ever had horrible. that experience, this is even this makes this scene even worse. Yeah. Um, he wakes up again. He sees this nurse whose like, head pops off and melts on him and starts talking to him. And the implication is it's just it's just going to keep happening again and again and again. And at least for now, Alex won't be dying or being put to rest anytime soon. My God, what the he's fuck? He's just sleeping. <laughs> and he's not dead. He's just sleeping. Yeah. And the ending of the issue is on Paul McGuire's frantic cries. Trying to tell his lover that he it's all right, he just needs to just wake up. Mm. A horrific end to Sleep of the Just. I gotta um, say, I like how this issue starts with someone going, "Wake up, sir," and that's also basically the last line of this issue. Please yep. wake up. Ah, Gaiman's so good. I mean, it's a really simple thing to, to do that, but just Gaiman's oh, so yeah. good. Like he just he understands what he, what he's doing and. Even like a 1980s Neil Gaiman, you know, in in, in probably his most unrefined Neil Gaiman ness. Um, yeah, this this is totally a Neil Gaiman who hasn't even written good opens yet. Yeah, um, like you know, he hasn't done most of the most popular Neil Gaiman works yet. Um, and uh, and 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 here he is, just fucking crushing it right out the gate. So, moving to issue two, Imperfect Hosts. Um, we meet Cain and Abel, and. Gaiman is his first bit of comedy in the Sandman right here, um, but, but it's very dark comedy. It, it's black humor, and I just, I just, oh god, I love it. It's well, it's also so partially weird. because <clears throat> it's Cain and Abel. It's Cain and Abel yeah. who are also. This is where where Neil Gaiman gets to start tributing one of his big inspirations, a Mister Jack Kirby, who initially created many of these the characters of this issue and of the Dreaming. Um, I think it is important to note that this is immediate post-crisis DC universe. Um, so we will be seeing DC characters in their then current incarnations showing up. Um, but it genuinely feels like Gaiman wanted to take some of these characters from way back as the 30s all the way through the 70s and keep them alive somehow, even when they don't fit into what was the current DC universe at the time. Yeah, um, he he does this great retooling of these old characters, and uh, and and makes them perfectly fit into the kind of world that he's setting up here, um, while still keeping just like their 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 the essential charm of of how they were created. So there is also this utter tension throughout this second issue. Uh, we know the so like reading this for the fir- for the first time, I remember knowing that you know this is Cain and Abel. I'm like, okay, I know what happens. So when's it gonna happen? <laughs> I understand the beautiful illusion. When is Cain going to kill Abel? Uh, and I... It has happened multiple times, and it will keep happening many, many more times for many, many more years. Um, I love that. It's <laughs> just great. As, really, really fun. as the gargoyle Gregory brings Dream into his kingdom, um, which is a mess, um... And he collapses on their doorstep. And these are our imperfect hosts. Uh, Abel is the one to ner- try to nurse Dream back to health, while Cain is far more violent. Uh, we find out that Dream was far too weak 
um, to find himself. Kane offers him some food, uh, you know, describes himself as... Which, which also I just want to say, this is like immediately after the first issue. The implication is that whatever little strength Dream had, he used on exacting his revenge, his vengeance on Alex Burgess. And then yes. checked out. <laughs> um, uh, but, uh, but I love this descriptor of Kane here, of purveyor of petty dreadful, shilling shockers, blood and thunders, and first-rate nightmares. Um... Because Cain and Abel were one of many horror hosts, I found out recently, for DC horror comics of the 1950s. Uh, oh, really? Yeah! Yep. Oh, that's cool. Oh, I have no idea what I was going to say, because I was going to spoil further stuff down the line, because there's at least two more in the dreaming. Yeah. There are a lot of horror hosts, a lot of them created by Jack Kirby. Um... You know, it's just just a great writer, um, and see, and this is character development, dear listeners. Go back to the early episodes of this podcast, specifically the Death of Superman stuff. Jacob having no clue who Jack Kirby was, and now we're here. I just I have a feeling we're going to be reading some stuff by Jack Kirby potentially <laughs> in the nearest future. We will see. Uh, we will see. But um, you know, uh, Dream actually requests Cain and Abel's. Um, letter, uh, letters of commission uh, to regain just a small fraction of his power, just enough to survive and exist in his realm, finally asking, you know, where have I been? And it turns out he's been imprisoned. And then we go to a sort of familiar site, if you've seen this podcast, the 1980s rendition of Arkham Asylum for the Criminally Insane. Yes. Yes. Mm. Love it. Um... We start setting up things for like for what will be like the larger arc through the rest of this first volume, um, and uh, I just I don't know I love the way Gaiman does Arkham Asylum. The the fact that Gaiman has just hasn't written more deranged Batman shit in general just kind of baffles me because um, it's perfect here. I, I absolutely love it. Um, we get a look at uh, John D here, um, who we're going to see a lot more of in the coming issues. Um, that's mostly what what our what our purpose here is for the now. Moment. I'm curious for you two. Did you expect John D to look like this shriveled corpse of a man? God no. Oh, that's right. That's yeah. right. Because oh my god, yeah. Because Audible, you're obviously not seeing him, and he was charming David Thewlis in in the Netflix series. Oh my god, I forgot that that would be a surprise to you. You guys. forget that John D is a monster. <laughs> I remember at some point because, like, because like in the past we were talking about it, and like one of you said that at some point like he's much like he like I think someone said like yeah in the show he's much more like suave than he is in the actual comics. He, he looks a lot more like an actual person. And I was like, what the hell does that mean? And like I chose not to look it up until I read Good. the comic. I was so happy. <laughs> so I turned the page and I was like, oh my god. <laughs> yeah. He's had the yeah. ring for like a hundred years or something and he's just wait <laughs> like he's wittering away. <laughs> like holy yeah. shit. Yeah. If the ring in this case is a, a magic stone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A magic stone that powers people's dreams. Yeah. Um yeah, just oh I I that experience has completely escaped me because this is how I've known John D for so long. <laughs> And also yeah. as cartoony comic book villain who fights the Justice League regularly. But, you know, yes, because he's Doctor Destiny. Destiny. Yeah, Doctor. Oh, Destiny. yeah. No. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, um, I was about to, to make a. Sorry, I was about to make a comparison to the Justice League series. <laughs> uh, where 
Dr. Destiny is voiced by William Atherton. It's true. <laughs> and has no uh, dick. Yep. Oh, wow. Um, That's unfortunate. Anyway, uh, back to Cain and Abel. Um, who, I don't know. I just love the way Gaiman writes the interactions in their own realm um, as, uh, as Dream is slowly recovering and, uh, and as he goes off to... Um, go, goes Find off his, his castle. Yes, he goes back to his kingdom, his, back to the gates. He opens them up and finds ruin. And I love this two-page spread so much when we first see it. Just despite the fact that as readers we've never seen the castle or anything that he, anything of his realm before this point, you still get the feeling just by the way that Keith draws it that it was once something great, and that this is this is not what it should be like. Um, if, if furthered even more by by the way that Keith draws Dream's face immediately afterwards, just the despair that he looks at at, the, at this with. Um, uh, when he's met by Lucian, uh, who makes his way into this comic, um, and is also uh, very different, I suppose, from uh, people right. that only know, only know the Netflix series. As uh, but also series. very similar in a lot of ways. Let's be honest. Yeah. Oh, it literally is just, just an appearance thing. Like it, you know, personality wise. I mean, Lucian is Lucian. You know. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, I love Lucian, and uh, I love how he's introduced here. Um, you you immediately get the get a feel for the relationship that Dream and Lucian have, um, and, uh, and 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 why and why Dream being imprisoned for so long was so devastating to this realm. Yes, uh, we find out from Lucian uh, that the uh, there are several dreams and nightmares that are gone. Um, the Raven Woman has decayed badly. Uh, who will meet next volume? Uh, Bruce and Glob have vanished two score years ago, so 40 years ago, putting that in the middle of the 1940s. Um, the fashion thing has been many things, uh, essentially as, as, as time goes on, and that uh, Cain and Abel have always been weird, but the weirdness has been getting worse, and we find that, that Dream has, has given Cain and Abel an egg as a gift, the egg is a baby gargoyle that Abel wishes to call Irving. And Cain will have none of that. That because gargoyle's names always begin with a G. And this is cause, of course, to kill his brother. <laughs> um, and I love the final panel here of the baby gargoyle just <laughs> looking on. As Where does this blood splatter? splatter? It's so good. Oh, I love it. Um, uh, then we get our actual first look at what uh, what Dream's uh, castle looked like before everything kind of went to shit. Um, I, I, I just I love the way Keith draws it. I could I could gush about Keith's art forever. Um, but yeah, uh, we get a uh, we know where um, Dream decides that he has to go out looking for the three items that were stolen from him when he was first in prison: uh, his helm, the stone, and his pouch. Um, as well as consulting the three-in-one, um, which is basically Gaiman's first harking back to just a story concept, the concept of the maiden, the mother, and the crone. Um, and to summon them, there are... He has to find... You know, he has to be at a... He has to be sacrificing a lamb um, under a crescent moon with honey and snakes where, at a, 
where at a gallows that are at a crossroads. Um, and he finds all of these things in dreams at midnight. Uh, again, our first allusion to sort of just to the general nature of the stories as the Hecate are summoned and are a fascinating a fascinating trinity of characters because they're characters who will be important for the entire series. Um, and they share dialogue. They also shift position on the panel multiple times, yeah, depending on who's... Yeah. Without, without any implied movement between the characters, they just kind of just naturally do that. I was going to say, like, I love, I love this, like, one page of just the... of, like, one of them picking up the the demon, the other one eating it, and then the third one burping. Yeah. Oh, like, so all cool. on that left side. It's yeah, really like they're cool. just continuously swapping positions. It's so cool. Um, it's also implied that they are all of the trinities. All of the three, uh, sort of the three female groups in all of history. Yeah. Um, and they each allow Dream one question. Uh, and, and this is where one of my favorite things about early Sandman and uh, and what I kind of love about it being set in the larger DC universe is the idea is one of the ideas in, in specifically where Gaiman imprisoned Dream timeline wise is it was just before in real life American comic books and superheroes really took off. Um, and so the idea is that Dream, when he comes back in, in, into this world, when he's freed, um, he has missed the entirety of superhero history. Um, so he is unfamiliar with this world, and it's not just like a, a plot contrivance to, to, to be like, oh, yeah, well, he just doesn't know any of these people. Oh, what are you talking about? They've been around for literal decades. But here they are, both I, I, from a publishing standpoint and in, in world, like Dream has no clue who these people are. He doesn't know who John Constantine is. We see uh, we get a look at Green Lantern and Batman here. It's just, it, it's... It's a really cool idea that um that is mostly only touched upon in the early days of Sandman, I think. Yes. But, you know. So yeah, so we find out that the pouch of sand is in the in the hands of an Englishman, John Constantine. Um, the uh, the helm was traded with a demon many years ago and is in hell. Um, and that the gem passed from mother to son, uh, who tapped its dream magics for his own ends. Ask the League of Justice where it's about its present whereabouts. And to all of these three, Dream wants to ask more questions, but he cannot. Uh, yeah, it's, it's very important here, establishing early on that even with all this dream and fantasy logic, there are certain rules that need to be adhered to because, well, spoilers, breaking those rules have consequences. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah, and, and like I like how these rules are set up also for like, dream himself because you have this like i guess worry of making him seem too much like a god and i mean he, he very much is a god in this world but like he still has to abide by the rules of everyone like and and, and like everyone does i i would assume like as time goes on yes just uh, like the law of nature i guess and uh, the dream knows where he's going now we see abel crawl out of the ground and make his way back to, to the house of mystery. Uh, we also see as 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 Dream decides where to go next. I just noticed this for the first time. There's a cameo from Guy Gardner and Ted yes, Court. Yep. And I'm guessing Black Canary. I can't quite tell who the third person is. Uh, uh 
probably yes um, yeah yeah pro- yeah probably black canary yeah but yes anyway. anyway marcus had a thing to say oh no i was gonna comment on the same thing you know now that um we get this really nice little bit of art where the flames in his robe start taking shape it's just really cool yeah yeah i love that um, I like the, the, the note that the issue ends on. Uh, first off, with this wonderful backdrop to these six panels of the blood coming from the top and dripping down to the bottom of the page um, of, uh, of Abel, just sort of rationalizing his abuser to the newborn gargoyle. Just so beautifully fucked up. I love it. Um, he's, gonna, he's going to call the gargoyle Goldie, but in his heart, he'll always think of him as Irving, really. Yeah. Uh, uh, going into issue three, dream a little dream of me. It's my baby. It's my yeah, baby. Yeah. He's here. He's here. I'm so happy. I just we had some little sort of John Constantine content on the podcast before, but this is the first actual like John Constantine story we've covered on the podcast. Yes, and I'm just I'm so happy. He's so fucking great. I just I really can't put it into words. I love him. <laughs> Actually, I guess that that brings more my question to um, uh, Mason and Marcus as we open up this issue. What was uh, your history with Constantine as a character, other than the uh, Joanna Constantine version in uh, in the Netflix series? Because um, you know, this is really I'm only really now getting into comics, so and this is really only my first real encounter with John Constantine. Because outside of that, it's just I know him more by reputation. You know, the Keanu Reeves movie I'd heard of. I'd, I'd never seen the series I'd heard of, but never seen. So, again, just I know him more by reputation than ac- ever actually having experienced his stuff. Yeah. You have also seen the Harley Quinn series. He's in that. Yeah. Briefly, but still, still great. Um, cool. And also, I would recommend to anyone, please watch the 2014 Constantine series. I know there's still, there's no chance of bringing it back, but in my mind, there is. Mason, your I mean, history hey. is John Constantine. <laughs> I mean, hey, the Keanu Reeves movie got a sequel. Fuck hey. that thing. Fuck that thing. Yay. <laughs> um, I'm trying to give you hope. You know, if the Keanu Reeves movie can get a sequel, then maybe. I can dream. Ironically, <laughs> Mason. Yeah. So yeah, so like I don't, I very similar to Marcus. I've heard of the movie, never seen it. Heard of the show, never seen it. Very much by reputation. I do think I know one thing about the character, and oh. I like d- doesn't he age along like in real time or something? In the original three hundred issue Hellblazer run, yeah, he uh, he aged in real time uh, before he was brought over into. Uh, more mainstream DC continuity with uh, the new okay. 52. So, yeah. And that's, also, that's you know, that, and also, you know, that he is, I think, canonically bisexual and yes, was brave to fuck a shark. Yep. Very much so. Oh. Yep. Wow. <laughs> yeah. He's great. Anyway, let's get going. Oh, I love it. <laughs> Look at him. Look at this bastard waking up. Cigarettes. <laughs> 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 Fucking miserable looking room. Just fucking dying. I don't know. It's good. <laughs> oh my god, um, Oh, I love him. He's so good. Fucking dying and shit. He's so cool. <laughs> I, I um, love the conversation he has with himself. Hello, London. Hello, John Constantine. Oh, yeah, then London. All right. Full of people. Raining you. Ah, uh, not bad. It's almost lunchtime, so I'm heading into town for breakfast. Good idea, John. Thank you, London. 
Yeah, I love that. Uh, it's so good. I also love the songs that play around John before Dream appears before him. Uh, they are all related to dreams. Yeah. Uh, yeah somehow. It's really fun. I also like to think one of them is uh, Sweet Dreams, which I forget who originally sang Sweet Dreams, but I would like Arithmetic. to think. Lennox. I would also like to think. No, 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 no. Not, not, not that version of Sweet Dreams. Different, oh, oh. Totally different song, Sweet Dreams. Oh, okay. Um the one that's playing on the uh, on the jukebox thing here in the diner, um, it's uh, it's different sweet dreams, and I can't forget who sings it originally. But there is an Elvis Costello cover of it, and I would like to think that because I mean every, that because every British comic book writer references Elvis Costello, apparently, <laughs> even Alan Moore. Like I would like to think it's the Elvis Costello version playing here. <laughs> so I don't know. Anyway. Um, yeah, so he's he, he's going about his day. He sees uh he keeps hearing these songs. Um, I forget the name of this old lady that comes up. Mad uh, Hetty. Oh, Ma- Ma- Mad Hetty. Mad Hetty. Mad Hetty. Um, <laughs> I love her. I just oh my god, I love this whole sequence. I love just this the, the whole opening to this issue it, it is so perfect and just like I don't know. I know that it was it probably wasn't the intention to have it be like more like oh cross motion because like. You know, it was more it was more Hellblazer promoting Sandman than it was Sandman promoting J- John Constantine as a character. Because yeah. um, Hellblazer would have been running for about a year at this point. Yeah, there's literally an issue around this time uh, of Hellblazer where, like, you see the aftermath of this Sandman issue. Um, like, Dream literally shows up for a page, and, uh, Ooh, and, and, and it's them and it's them like parting ways and Constantine yes. reflecting on it. So, yeah, that's yes. cool. Um, but we, we, throughout all this, we have this character of Rachel, who has, she is, in the first page is dreaming, and at this point, a man, uh, is going to rob this home, um, and then finds, finds himself in a dream, uh, where he can dream himself as absolutely anything. It's horrific, and this is where I'd like to bring up the fact that this is the first time Neil Gaiman is actually directly discussing the AIDS epidemic Mm -hmm. um, and sort of how the AIDS epidemic needs to be treated above all else with kindness. You'll see it at the end of the issue uh, because Dream cannot save Rachel, but he can pull a kindness uh, and allow her to have a peaceful sleep, Um, which is very, very interesting because this is still 1988. Ronald Reagan is still the president of the United States. People are LGBT people are still dying of AIDS. We are, um, but Gaiman is going to go there and is essentially going to be writing this and the next two issues in particular to be ref- almost his big reflection of the epidemic as an epidemic. Um, and I think that is utterly fascinating. Yeah. Um, but then we actually have John Constantine. Meet Dream for the first time. And, and this is where we get to sweet dreams. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he meets he meets Dream. And <laughs> um in true John Constantine fashion, he just he completely disregards Dream <laughs> if at first. Um, you know, Constantine is well aware of the uh of the nature of the more supernatural elements of the world around him. Um but doesn't let that bother him, you know. It's just he he doesn't let that stop him from going about his day. Um, I, just, I don't know. I love I love their immediate dynamic here. It's really cool. Um, and uh, Dream, of course, is very very business. He wants to know where um, 
uh, where the pouch got to. Um, and uh, again, I just love this scene. It's so cool. It, um, it could it, it could be it somewhere in Chaz's lockup. Um, we get a Chaz call out, my son Chaz. <laughs> and a Chaz appearance um, a little later. Um, we also get a call out for Swamp Thing because um, Constantine's <laughs> like, you, you, you can't. I hope you don't expect to go on public transport with you dressed like that. Be dead embarrassing. Is this better? Uh, I haven't introduced you to the big green bloke. You'd like him. He hasn't got a sense of humor, sense of humor either. <laughs> oh, it's so good. I love him. Um, and in, so we go to the lockup, and in the files, what's interesting is there are several large files. Uh, one on Brujeria, one on the Plant Elemental, which is Swamp Thing. One labeled Crisis, <laughs> implying that John Constantine has studied what happened in Crisis on Infinite Earths. Yep. Um, uh, American Gothic, Liverpool, and Tibet. <laughs> I imagine those are Constantine stories? Uh, Liverpool, because he's John Constantine, probably. Um, can't imagine off the top of my head what the other two are. Um, oh, wait, no, Tibet. Wait, no, I know what Tibet is. Can okay, so they're definitely John Con Maybe American Gothic is like his first appearances in Swamp Thing? Or mm, No, maybe. that wouldn't I don't know. I don't I'll know. just say, um, based on what Joey said last time we talked about it, Liverpool gets mentioned in the Netflix series. Uh, like no, so you're, thinking of, you're thinking of Newcastle. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Wow, sorry. No, 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 you're good. Well, Newcastle does get brought up in this issue, though, still. Um, yes. Yeah, so, anyway. Um, but yeah, he pulls out these files. Um, him uh, and, and Chaz and Dream. I love the image of them all in the taxi together with Dream in the back. Yeah. <laughs> completely silhouetted like that. Just, just a really funny image. Once again, the game and, and, and Keith just sort of laying into some, some comedic uh, bits here, where, you know, in an otherwise very dark and serious story. Um just really cool. So yeah, it takes us to this uh, to this house where uh, where where Dream and Constantine enter, um, and Rachel where Rachel has the pouch, mm -hmm. and we find they find the body of the burglar who is being eaten by dreams, and Constantine wants to run away but can't, um, and they and they enter Rachel's room, and here's where we go. Full Sam Keith surrealism mm -hmm. with turning on a bloody light switch and falling through the clouds. Because um, this isn't only a dream. Yeah. And finding. Dream saving him. And I just love the way I love Constantine's face. This is really funny. Um, yeah, I don't know. I love it. Uh, they, they go into this, uh, this other realm where. where Every, all the walls are seem to be made of like just this like waxy organ like material. Human oh, flesh. Yeah. Yeah. This is of annihilation. Rachel's father. What was that? I think Martin? this is implied to be Rachel's father. Did yeah. Say that? Oh yeah. It's implied. Yeah. Um. Oh my god. They uh, they walk through this door. They keep walking down these horrible green halls with these like different souls. I'm assuming just poking through. Oh, it's really fucked up. Trying to talk to Dream mostly. It's just oh, I love it. Um, and then they 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 make it through this last door here, and they come upon Rachel, who is sitting in this bed, naked, really 
stabbed. Yeah. Um, really fucked up looking. Yeah, and uh, Constantine is visibly spooked by this. Um, we get the pouch, and uh, Reem is just and, going to leave her. Yeah, um, because he has what he wants, and Constantine d- demands that Dream, like you, know, like you know, we can't leave her like this. And he, Dream says, "Okay, very well, we'll go outside then." And um, and what Dream gives Rachel is just a pleasant dream before she dies properly. Um, it's uh, it, it's her and Constantine walking into the sunset, and then they leave. Um, and before we end all this, uh, Constantine asks Dream for one last favor. Um, he says, you know, ever since Newcastle, he's been having these horrible night- nightmares the last 10 years. Um, you know, most nights, he's like, wonder, wonder if you could, you could just, you know, it's implied that he's asking just to, like, you know, help him out, you know, just to maybe have take a good those night's away. sleep. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. uh, and Dream, he says, I understand very well. And uh, Constantine walks away singing Mr. Sandman. <laughs> And uh, and that's that. I just I adore it. I adore it. Everyone, read Hellblazer. Absorb Constantine content in any way you can. It's so good. Anyway, anyway, <laughs> uh, we move into issue four. A which I want to say before we get into it properly, issue four here is tied with issue six for my favorite cover of this set. Yes. Oh, it's it's very it's fantastic. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah. So, all right. Uh, who would like to begin getting, getting into this issue? Well, I think Marcus should because he loves Lucifer. Yeah, too. And just like I, I will say too, like the more I read or experience this issue in any way, like the higher it climbs in my ranking. Like I'd say of the single single issues, this is probably my second favorite now. It's quality. <clears throat> so we open in a void. Dream has recovered his bag of sand, so he's decided to make his next move to brave the hordes of hell. In this really beautiful page where the void slowly forms a pier, and we get this lovely title. Mm-hmm. And then he steps off said pier and falls through dimensions. Yep. You know, into basically preparing his descent into hell um, to sorry, that. Sorry, sorry, not not hell. This is just Sam Keithland. Um. <laughs> Basically, he's comparing his trip into hell to that of the Morning Star, who he saw fall. Mm-hmm. I love that. Um, and so he he goes down into hell. He he gets makes his way to the gates. He is begrudgingly welcomed in. Um, First and... by Squatter Bloat. Uh, I love the names of these guys. Squatter bloat. Um, and their designs, which are very, very... They're all so unique. Yeah. yeah. And then... Etrigan. Some more Jack Kirby bullshit. More Jack Kirby bullshit. I love Etrigan. Oh, my God. Another character that, if, if you can, in any way, just absorb more Etrigan content. Great. Um, in I fact... If... Mason! Mason! Yeah. You yeah. wouldn't have known Etrigan. What did you think of Etrigan? Etrigan. That was... Etrigan's awesome. <laughs> I like yeah, yeah, that's it. That's all I got. It's just very, very interestingly designed character, like in adjacent to everything else, I think. Mm. And just, uh, you know what? I will say actually, if you're intrigued by any of these characters that get like small appearances here, like Etrigan, John Constantine, and hell even John D, um, 
there's a great animated movie called Justice League Dark. Um, I just I would highly recommend it. It's uh, mm. it's one one of the best modern DC animated films. I love it. So anyway, um, yeah, love Etrigan though. He's just he's just a, a rhyming poet demon. I love him. He's great. He also <laughs> has the form of a man at times. Yeah. Um, and so he he guides Dream uh, to where he wants to go. They pass by this one cell. Uh, where a woman uh, pleads to Dream. I always forget how to pronounce the name for Dream in her language. I forget. Hi, cool. Hi, cool. That's it. Thank you. Um, uh, she begs to him to free her. Um, and we see what she sees. Um, we see how she sees Dream from like a different perspective. And, and he, has, he takes on pretty much a completely different form. Um, this idea that different cultures and different belief systems see Dream and, and the Endless in different ways. I just, I love that idea. Um, it's one that we're really going to play on in, in some later volumes. It's really, really cool. Um, Dream leaves her. Her name is, is Nada. And uh, we will find still out. Loves we her. will find out Nada on her right now. Uh, <laughs> but we'll get to that. What a funny joke! Later, uh, I oh, will see myself out know, of this podcast. <laughs> no, I'm just looking at the next page now, and it's like I never noticed this before, but it looks like so much of the castle in hell looks so much like the castle in the dreaming. Oh yeah, yeah, that's Ooh. very intentional. Um, first off, because they're both Sam Keith designed castles. Um, yeah, it's but, the same architect. Uh, yeah, but you know, uh, but also just yeah, it's. it's I'm sure it's very intentional that they they look the same. And then and we make our way to the Morning Star himself, Lucifer. Um, Enter David Bowie as Satan. Yeah, yeah, in all his David Bowie glory. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, this, this is Lucifer, um, the Neo Game and take on Lucifer. Um, it's perfect. <laughs> I love it. I love portraying Lucifer as this just sort of blase god. <laughs> um, but there are very clear ways to get under his skin and to uh, just just to piss him off. I love it. Um, I, so there, his immediate like uh, interaction with Dream is sort of teasing him, um, but they don't exactly go into like how well these two knew each other before Dream was in prison. But I imagine fairly well. The endless, I imagine, had a pretty <laughs> open relationship with a lot of these godlike creatures. Um, uh, it's heavily implied that Lucifer has offered an alliance with Dream before, um, and we 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 figure we also the next demon we meet, Beelzebub, the Lord of the Flies, <laughs> once again through Todd Klein's wonderful lettering, is revealed to be the demon with which Ruthven Sykes made a de- made a deal with. Yes, uh, I love that detail. So the, the um, all done through the lettering. Um, and we find out that hell is a triumvirate between Lucifer, Beelzebub, and Azazel. Um, Which, once again, is a thing that was just part of larger Vertigo things at the time. Um, and I do kind of want to say, too, just a smi- minor thing. I don't like this design of Azazel. I kind of like the redesign he has in Season of Mist so much more. Yeah, I agree. I do prefer the Season of Mist one. Um but yeah, uh, this yeah, like yeah, you mentioned the the three the three sort of rulers of hell. Um, yeah, that was something that sort of like Hellblazer had really delved into before this. Actually, not terribly long before this, um, and they sort of like bounced off each other a lot in uh, in how they handled that sort of hierarchy. It was really interesting. Um, but yeah, sorry, go on. Uh, and, and and Dream is basically asking now. 
tell us. Which demon has your helmet? And we see the forces of hell assembled in all of their glory. Uh, there are. <laughs> you, you, you questioned all of there, but really should have been you should have been questioning the word glory, Jake. Yes. Um <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, just, Sam Keith goes full Sam Keith, and it, it's it's the craziest fucking monsters that you can imagine put to page. Um and it turns out the demon that has Dream's helm is Clorinzone, who is essentially an MC of a nightclub. Um Oh, a, yeah. A Duke of Beelzebub. Uh, you know what he reminded me of? What? The mask. You know, like, like, I didn't yeah. want to imagine Jim Carrey's voice for this, but now you're going to force me to do that, oh, aren't see, you? No, see, Jacob said that, and now do you know what I'm thinking? Which I don't think it works. I think it was probably a few years after this. Um, Alan Cummings' take on the MC. I mean, I think Cummings started playing the MC earlier than that film production, so it's very possible. Um, but yes, so, uh, basically there's going to be a challenge through the laws of hell for Dream to reclaim his helm, and he's, uh, Corrin Zone asserts reality, and I adore the way the challenge is portrayed in a literal club, in I mean, a literal hellfire club. The challenge yeah. is great, but I will say because we've talked about adaptations a lot for for this uh, for for this episode, and uh, it's one of like the only scenes that I think you know adap- an, an adaptation has done better than the comic and pretty much every other version of the story. The Netflix version is so fucking perfect for the challenge. Yeah, um, I love the I love the Netflix version because like, and you you can't really get this with like a a book medium, but like just the pause between answers yeah and like yeah. like being in literal darkness and then just like the small like hope yeah like i, I also, love that i love you that know, and also and i love the, the idea the that way, oh, sorry, just ahead. the way the game manifests itself in the netflix series i think it realizes it better than the comic kind of can yeah i do know why i mean logistically yeah it should be corin's on that, that has the challenge but i do like the idea that it's lucifer and dream instead in the netflix yeah. series um it's like, yeah i, I get they did it gwendolyn christie is a big name so they wanted her to do stuff but also it's like i feel like it kind of diminishes lucifer as a threat since they already kind of lost in their first appearance well without really trying to spoil anything about later on it's lucifer isn't necessarily built up i mean lucifer is built up as a threat but never in this in the sandman comes in direct conflict with dream so the fact that they made that made a point of that in the Netflix series is, uh, I think is pretty important, but that's beside the point. We're talking about the comic anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, it, yeah, just, it, it, it's a, it's a, it's a challenge of words and, and physical manifestations of those words. And it's really, really fun. It's a fun idea. Um, and it, it starts fairly small and then builds and builds to universe spanning eventually becomes anti-life. Um, and then, Dream wins through being abstract by, you know, it is the saying, I am hope. Yeah. Um, I love it so much. Beautiful. And, and, of uh, course, and of course, Lucifer can't take that. So when Morpheus tries to leave, you know, honorable, you joke, surely. Look around you, Morpheus. The million lords of hell stand arrayed about you. Tell us, why should we let you leave? 
Helmet or no, you have no power here. What power have dreams in hell? Ah, oh, so good. And then I, and then of course I love so good. the dream speech afterwards because it's one of my favorite dream lines ever. Um, uh, you say I have no power. Perhaps you speak truly, but you say that dreams have no power here. Tell me, Lucifer Morningstar. Ask yourselves, all of you, what power would hell have if those here imprisoned were not able to dream of heaven? And it's just. Oh, oh, it's so good. So is, good. Fucking perfect line. I just, oh, God. And Mark yeah, just quite, out the actor in me for a second. Fuck. <laughs> that is quite probably my favorite line in this entire, like, eight-issue thing. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's so good. And, uh, and Dream Leaves. And, uh... We have a small epilogue of the death of Ethel D. Yes. Giving her dear son the amulet, uh that she got from hell that will protect him in uh in his quest and that's our epilogue um you that know how is fucking a... nuts dave mckean is <laughs> look at this next fucking cover man just like <laughs> the fucking chains and the locks you know that's not a photograph dave mckean fucking did that like <laughs> that's fucking nuts that's so fucking nuts i can't get over that anyway Issue five. Uh, oh, what's it called? Passengers. Passengers. Thank you. Once again, describing several different passengers: literal passengers, the silent passenger of AIDS, um, as well as just dream as a passenger. Um, yeah. And this is the first of two issues where I don't want to say dream gets a backseat, um, but he kind of does. Um, yeah. I mean, the next issue, he's totally gone from the story altogether yes um, th this one uh, is at least still present for a, a fair bit of it yeah we open with uh dr john d's dr destiny's escape from arkham asylum for the criminally insane um as it's guards scarecrow the batman villain yeah, yeah. so <laughs> jonathan crane um who if you listen to our nightfall episodes we found out that in the Dirk Mag's verse of DC comic adaptations. Um, the <laughs> Scarecrow has always been played by the same actor. Yeah, both in the Nightfall audio drama that Dirk Mag's did and in the Sandman. So, I just... <clears throat> fucking weird. How about that? <laughs> um, and Jonathan Crane has this amazing idea of, you know, oh, you can leave, but you're going to come back. Also, there's a some April Fool's surprise next door, and nothing has been the same without the Joker. Again, entrenching this issue very much into the DC universe of the time. Mm -hmm. uh, Destiny sees next door. Uh, the, the April Fool is a, a guard hanged with a kick me sign, um, which allows <laughs> Dr. Destin to escape. And um, he uh, gets a gun, gets a gun. And uh, flags down a car, becomes an unruly passenger to this woman with, Hello, I'm going to find my, I'm going to find my Matt, my Ruby. You're going to drive me. I'll tell you where to stop. Trust me. I'm a doctor. Comment <laughs> um, <laughs> is just throughout this issue. I love the lighting on John D. How, you know, mm. several times it just makes his face look like a skull. Yeah, which oh, totally. I've never seen the original Dr. Destiny costume. <laughs> Yeah. Yes, it, it, it's pretty much just Skeletor. <laughs> um, and okay, now on this next sequence, I need to know what Mason made of it. 
Yeah, so I I imagined that it was like some sort of flashback for John D or like a some weird like physical manifestation of like emotions or something. Okay. And Am I dead wrong or like Um well it is a flashback not for John D. Uh oh. Joey, can, do, do you want to explain the Jack Kirby bullshit? Jack Kirby bullshit is Jack Kirby bullshit. Uh, this is this is a this is a wee place called Apocalypse. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with it at all. This is Apocalypse. This is the home of the new gods. Um, and dark side and dark side. And we see uh, Granny, Granny goodness, goodness here, not played um, by Ed Asner. Nope. <laughs> um, yeah, that's all this is. It's it's really random. It really comes out of nowhere. Well, it's a nightmare. It's the nightmare of one Scott Free. Yeah, who's Mister Miracle from from the New Gods, and it, it's it's and like it's, I this is the one like DC. Here. This is like the one DC universe thing, right? And unless you are reading actively reading DC at the time, I don't think you're going to get this. Like, yeah, because I, I had no idea what the hell was going on. I was like, what yeah. the fuck. Most definitely, yeah. <laughs> it, all, most of the other DC Universe connections throughout these early issues, like, Gaiman does a pretty good job of, like, catching you up and, like, letting you know, like, who all these characters are, at least very briefly, and, you know, how to quickly get on board with who they are. But this is just, I, I know, it, it totally throws you for a loop. And if you don't know who these characters are, it's it's a complete mystery to you. Um, but yeah, Scott wakes up uh, <laughs> with a dream at the foot of his bed. And we'll catch up on that in a bit as uh, John D continues his journey with the very nice woman that he that he has hijacked. Um, and, this, uh, this woman is it says that her husband's a mafia hitman. He'll kill you. So don't even think think it. Um, it's like, and you know, so D is not the actual passenger here. It turns out Roe is Mary. This woman is a passenger, and. Mm-hmm. You're on the edge. You're always on the back foot with this issue because D has this gun, and Rosemary's doing everything she can. Like she offers D a coat to wear. Uh, this is also the first time we have inks from the late great Malcolm Jones the um, third. Such a good who inker. will become the primary inker for a while after this issue. Um, mm-hmm. Immediately after this issue. Yeah. Um, and um, that's that's what this this first bit is. Yeah. Uh, we then um, are cutting between the Justice League plot and D in the car. Um, mm-hmm. We find out that the, uh, you know the Dreamstone was you know originally from Doctor Destiny, um, who made nightmares real. Um, it was on the JLA satellite. Uh, it might have been moved to somewhere mm-hmm. uh scott free does not know but uh you know he knows who might and he's gonna go wake that person up um we go back to uh john d and rosemary here um getting some really just unsettling conversations between these two i yeah. just i i adore yeah. the tension building here so Ro- rosemary offers d food and asks you know you can uh, look, John. I'm a nurse. You can tell me. I won't freak. Is it the big A? The big A, AIDS. I was like, helpers. Hey, do you know the disease? Is that why you look like you do? Where have you been for the last five years? And of course, 
he's been locked in the madhouse. But once again, Gaiman is weaving AIDS as this constant background element um, of, of the story um, that I think very much is, is a point, especially of early Sandman um, and sort of the mishandling of it and how terrible that actually is all through little scenes like this very subtly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I really like that with this, this comic and again, I haven't read a lot of comics, so I don't know how much they do or don't do this, but like, I really like how aggressively like set in 1988 this comic is like I don't know how else to describe it but like it is set in the very very real world of 1988 which yeah. I feel like for me at least it adds more of a grounded note to it cuz like I mean a, a lot of the comics I've read they felt very timeless I think in like when they're set yeah um yeah. but like this one it feels very much like you know it's set in like the real year of 1988 like that like our world like like this this world in this comic would not exist if it wasn't for the real world that that we lived in at the time and i i really like it when stories do that i know a lot of people try to make their own stories timeless especially if like you're wanting your story to be set in or like like read like years and years after but just setting it in what at the time was just the very real present world just makes it feel more real and like grounded with these big concepts of like Dr. Destiny and the dream of the endless. Like it, it just makes it feel more like powerful and re like it, it makes things feel like they have more consequences, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I know what you mean. Um, we go back to our justice league plot then. Um, Love the JLI robes. Yes, <laughs> things with a little JLI <laughs> on it. Um, but also Martian Manhunter. I know Marcus, you're probably a little more familiar with the character, so I guess I'm just more curious. I mean, I'm assuming you are Marcus, right? You're a little bit more. Yeah, about no, Martian I, Manhunter. Okay, I, Mason. <laughs> oh yeah, nothing. I yeah, this was the first time. I mean, I mean, I guess technically the Audible was the first time I'd ever like actively experienced a Martian Manhunter. I know he's in one of the Zack Snyder movies. I think. Uh, yeah, yeah, in uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League, very briefly. Um, yeah, well, and like, I guess technically, technically, he's in all three. Um, but, oh, is really? Have you seen all of them, Mason? I've seen the, I've seen Man of Steel and I've seen Batman v Superman. I've, I've not seen either version of the Justice League yet. Okay, all right, I won't say anything more then. Okay. Um, but yeah, so, uh, Sean Jones, the Martian, Man Martian Manhunter, is having a, a nightmare here about uh, Lord Lazoril, um, who's a fire demon thing, um, and uh, no, um, Marshman no, is, is Lazoril is how he sees dream. Oh, that's right. That is correct. Um, uh, but yeah, so yeah, he, he sees him as, as as a fire demon thing because it, Martians are weak to fire. It's one of their weaknesses. It's the whole thing. Anyway, um, but yeah, uh, yeah, he he talks to Dream here who. It's not implied that he ever sees Dream normally at all, right? Because there's this one right. point where we see Dream I think so, yeah. Normally, but that's yeah, but that's because we're in the perspective of Mr. Miracle, who sees Dream as Dream. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, but Marshman actually tells Dream where he believes the uh, the Dreamstone it, uh, was last held, uh, which is a, uh, a warehouse in upstate Gotham. Um, Dream goes out to look for it, and 
And uh, we go back to... And while in Martian Manhunter offers Scott Free a secret stash of Oreos, which he is welcome to partake. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Marsh Manager is his love of Oreos. It's, it's a whole thing. Anyway, uh, I love it. He's yeah. so cool. I like him. Like he's he, great. like from, from these like two pages. I like Martian Manhunter. He's pretty great. Um, I would recommend um, uh, watching the Justice League cartoon that Jacob is currently going through. As it, it's got some okay. really great Martian Manhunter content in it. So yeah. Anyway, um, yeah. Back to back to uh, the, the car ride of death. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, John D is still traveling with his with his companion Rosemary, and a lot and... of this is trying to build up who John D actually is as we head towards Mayhew, um, and just the madness of this man trying to find his ruby. Um, like Rosemary, get in these two pages has two lines of dialogue about her children. Uh, you know. Uh, and, you know, about dreams, but it's all a John D. monologue. Yeah. And also, as D keeps going on, you kind of see, um, what's a good word for it? You you kind of see, um, Todd Klein's letters degrade as he keeps speaking. Yeah. 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 Oh, so uh, good. And I, and uh, like, just like a small little thing, I like the way that they, the artist did the, headlights reflecting on the street like in these last few panels yeah, yeah like i don't know why that like it really stuck with me yeah, yeah. it's pretty great um, um dream is uh then on his way to go find the dream stone in uh in this warehouse in upstate gotham uh, going through several dreams character. yeah we have the first appearance of merv Pumpkinhead. yes um oh yeah i didn't notice that last time yeah um and Dream gets to the warehouse first, and in the warehouse you see a bunch of things that are references to Justice League stories. I was um, gonna ask. I'd assume, I don't know many of them, um, I recognize at least one reference to the Joker, um, mm. but there aren't many. Um, yeah, no, it's just a, just a fun little Easter egg page. Um, um, but he finds made... oh, sorry, Ruby, ahead. and it's corrupted. It rebounds its energy back at him, finding him to collapse. D arrives with Rosemary, and you know, you ask Rosemary, your husband Harry, is he really a mafia hitman? <laughs> Harry Gunn. That was just something I said when I when I was, you know, scared you were dangerous, crazy or something. Harry's a high school teacher. Oh, well, I don't suppose it would have mattered made any difference either way. And he just shoots her. I that's like that is like really like I love the way that the story just corrupts people like over the course of the of the issues like and uh, actually I don't know if corrupt is the right word but I just love the evolution of just this woman driving D and being like cuz like at the start like he's pointing a gun at her mm-hmm. and then and then by the end he's like oh no dude I I was just I was just lying cuz like I didn't know the real you back you know yeah. he's a teacher <laughs> like it's really creepy yeah yeah um, but yeah, D makes his way into the warehouse. He gets the Dreamstone from Dream. He leaves. He makes his way to a diner, an all-night, twenty-four-hour diner. diner. And that he's going to be waiting yeah. for the end of the world. That brings us into issue six, twenty-four Woo! hours. So this is Ooh. the big, famous issue of the Sandman. Yeah. 
And um, the Sandman doesn't even show up in it. <laughs> until the very end. Yeah, um, I love it. I, I do want to say that for me personally, who is kind of a wimp when it comes to horror, I actually think reading the comic is the most palatable way to take it in. Like, I've said in the past how the Audible version has kind of traumatized me, but it's like something about just reading it, not witnessing it being performed, just makes it a little easier to take in for me. See, I think it depends on like what you what you know what you're more susceptible to, what, what makes you squeamish, you know, what really gets under your skin. Um, whether it be you know the, the, some of the more grotesque moments of the Netflix version, the descriptions of the Audible version, um, or just seeing it drawn on a page like in the comic here. Um, it really depends on like person to person. I'd say the personally for me the most brutal one is, is probably the Netflix version, just because you know it's 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 live action. It's very visceral for me. Um, yeah and like for me it's it's definitely the audible version because i've always been scared of like things that like if like i've always been scared of like the things that i can come up with about a situation rather than like the the uh situation itself because like if i'm watching a like here i'll give a quick example like whenever like i, I guess small spoilers for the movie under the skin um but there's a scene in there which shows this woman kill these like two people and uh it's revealed later on that those two people had a kid and like he goes late like like the the woman goes later on to like collect their bodies or whatever and like this kid who's like five months old maybe is just still sitting there oh, geez. and it's like it's fucking horrible and just like the way that my Wait, is that the like, one am i thinking of the right movie who's in that it's with Scarlett Johansson. That, okay, I'm thinking of the right one. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I, and it's I, just like... I think I watched it like, when it first came out. I don't remember much about it. <laughs> but yeah, just like, the, the image of the kid, that didn't really fuck with me, but just the image of my head of like, what happens after always stuck with me more than anything. Mm, I gotcha. And so just like, hearing the noises and like, the voices and just everything that's happening and forcing my brain to come up with what it looks like. For me, that's the scariest version of the story. Totally understandable. Yeah. All right, let's get into this. So also, uh, one before we really get into this, um, <laughs> content, quick content we, warning. We will, we will do anything to avoid talking about the issue. <laughs> oh, no, quick I'm content warning, this gets really dark. But also, this is the first time that Mike Dringenberg, who inked the first four issues, is promoted to penciler. Um, yeah. That Sam, said, I, I do, I do want to live in the timeline where Sam Keith stayed on for one more issue. I I just see, part of me <laughs> part of me is deadly curious, but also part of me is like I feel like that timeline might be too much. Like, <laughs> <laughs> That's what got the Sandman canceled in '88. <laughs> yeah. Um. But yeah, we this is just 24 hours in an all night diner. Um. From different perspectives, our first perspective is waitress Betty Monroe, who thinks she's a right she, she Betty Monroe writes stories. She writes them in longhand on yellow legal pads. And she writes about all the people in her life, the diner, and she is a normal woman. And a lot of these people are essentially normal people, but each of them have some dark secret inside of them. Betty Real is... Quick. Real quick, yeah. I just want to say, I, I like the line, she makes these stories end happily. Because, like, mm -hmm. it's like she's forcing them to do so rather than just them having happy endings. Yeah. 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 Um, like, 
Betty is the first person we learn who what her dark secret is. I mean, it's it's a whole issue. I mean, we get into the heads of a lot of these people in this diner, but what Gaiman does, I think, is just this brilliant job of finding ways, at least in an inner monologue sort of way, to rationalize horrible behavior. Yes. Um, um, and, but, and, and we start with what at the time would be considered normal horrible behavior. Betty Monroe's a homophobe mm-hmm. in her yeah. stories. Yeah. Um, uh, there's, you know, young... Um, What's her name? Judy. Yeah, yeah young, Judy. young Judy, who is a lesbian. Mm-hmm. And, 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 so all of her, and so in, in Betty's stories about Judy, like she, she's straight. She's, you know, she just it totally erased that part of her part of her life. Um, I just I love it. Just little things like that. Just like you, you just the way gaming gets into their heads. I just I adore it. Um, really well done. Um, we, you know, there's a young man waiting for a job interview at a big chemical plant. Maybe Betty will write a story about him. There is a lovely, there's a lovely married couple who are, you know, lovebirds, take one away, the other will die. And there is, you know, poor Marsh, who lost Marsha. And there's the newcomer, who has been there in a world of his own, nursing his own coffee, dreamstone and amulet in hand. And... By this point, this leads us into hour two, where he begins to exert his influence by stopping the young man who has a job interview from leaving and just sits down to get some more coffee. Hour three, John D watches a soap opera while Judy makes a phone call to one Rose. We will learn who Rose is next time we cover the Sandman. Um, and we'll learn who Donna is a couple times after that. Because um, this is, all, surprisingly, this is also an issue that seeds a lot of the seeds for where the series is going. Um, and Ro, we, this is sort of where we hint at what Ro, at, at what Judy's deep dark secret is, and is that she hit her girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we go to hour four where we start to get the dark stuff. Um, yeah. It's a little bit show. <laughs> it's Dino's kid vid playhouse that John D is watching and laughing at. And uh, he makes the presenter slash his wrist up and down. Not oh across the wrist. It's so fucked up. I love it. It's so fucking dark. And it's just him laughing and like the laugh. Oh, just fucking cackling in the corner. Oh my god. And the only reason he does it is because he wants to see how far he can reach out with his powers. Yeah. And time starts to tick. Hour six. The flies get restless. Uh, The little subtitles the hours have. I love it. (laughs) Yeah. Um. Our married couple want to leave. They've been here for hours, but they then love this place. Judy's writing a letter to Donna. Can't really find the words. And they all dream into hour seven, um, making them feel good. Um, where we have, you know, Gary showing how much of a greedy, lecherous bastard he is. Kate wanting to keep him by having his head on a silver platter. Uh, D then comforts them in hour eight, makes them 
makes them feel good. And we get our first flash that the rest of the world is also going crazy through all of this. Um, we never see it uh, go crazy. You hear, like, descriptions of the news, and that's about it. Um, but then Hour 9 is where things then really start to turn. Um, we start conflict. Marsh I... tries to attack Judy with a knife. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I was just going to say, it's, it, sorry, just, just, just real quick. It's so, like, powerful to me that Hour 9 is just one image. And it tells you uh, everything you need to know about what happens with this well, one? Well, no, it's one of those three panels, isn't it? Oh, is yeah, it? It's three, it's yeah, three cause, panels. Because yeah, it's a two-pager. Oh, hour nine? Okay. Yeah. Oh, oh, right, 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 right. Yeah. sorry. Yeah. Then, again, but I, hour again, 10 I, is, I read it in the wrong order. Hour 10 is visually my favorite. Um, they love Wait. him, it says. I just, oh my god. It's, it's the, the most fucking starts. Yeah, um... John D is being held up by these people. They, they have God written in blood on his chest. Like it's just, oh, it's so grim. I love it. Oh my god. And then hour eleven is they catch up on the news, and you know we question what's actually been happening. Um, and then hour twelve, it is time for them to get to know each other better. And this was always the most disturbing part for me because we learned that uh, Kate is a. Uh... Necrophiliac. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And then hour thirteen, they you get know, to know you each know other. That, you know that thing where you don't realize how fucked up something you like is until you say it out loud. I've yeah, never, that's... I never described twenty four hours out loud. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, what that's what twenty four hours is. Um, hour thirteen, they get to know each other intimately. They are basically. It's the orgy set to the um, theme song for the Adams Family, yep. ending on <laughs> a joke of um, the climax, leaving Doctor D just to say, "Neat, neat, neat." What's the uh, like? What's the writing in the background there? You see that? Uh, like, like between the image. Oh, like, like geez, what is that? I don't even know. Uh, <laughs> No. Well, I wonder if it's one of uh, Betty's this stories. Is Be- yeah, it's one of Betty's stories. You see a lot of these background oh. things that um, I think so. I believe these background things aren't actually Mike Dringenberg. There is a special thanks at the top of the issue uh, to one Dom Carolla, who I believe did these the special backgrounds um, behind the panels um, for this. Um, this moves to hour 14 where D makes our three female characters tell him his future. Um, like, you know, the, like the... the like the Hecate? The Hecate. Yeah, yep. Um, um, so and it's, it's a false future. Yep. Hour 15 gives them back their minds. Oh, and wow. We kind of get, again, one of the most disturbing sequences in this comic, just... You know, there's no philosophy. There's no reason to this. D's just doing this because he can. And then hour 16 is party games, which is just four completely black panels that say murder in the dark, ah, and he, 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 he. It's, yeah, <laughs> man, like. Um, hour, hour 17, 
uh, confession and penance. Um, it, this is the nail scene. It's it's oh my god, <laughs> man! This whole th- this whole issue really is just I have no mouth and I must scream, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, hour 18, he brings out the beast in them. Uh, he they makes them fight amongst themselves. Fight like animals. Uh, uh, they're all animalistic. Hour 19, he lies to them. Promises, promising, uh, telling them the story of Snow, uh, of Snow White. Hour um, 20, it was time for entertainment. Where... What are they? Let's see. What are they singing here? Do we know? We, I don't. Hmm. I, I kind of want to find out after this. Anyway, yeah, the, um, uh, hour twenty-one. He shows them the delights of belief, where Judy takes some skewers. <laughs> uh, um, hour twenty-two, where they are just—they're all dead. All dead. <laughs> I I like the very small little sticker of "Please and thank you" are magic words. As he stands there, just in his trench coat, like, oh my god. Uh, and we stay for hour 23. Which um, has no subtitle. It just has he eats a John fly. D. eating a fly. Um, An hour 24 of Dreams of Rival. And, oh boy. It brings us to issue 7. Uh, Sound and Fury? Yeah, Sound and Fury. Sound um, and Fury. So, oh man, we could just end right there, right? We're done. I, I think I'm kind of drained. <laughs> well, we have two more issues to go. Don't worry, the serotonin is coming. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I was gonna ask, because Marcus, before, you said this was the issue you had your nitpick with, right? Oh, yeah, Sound and Fury. It's basically, you know, after Passengers and 24 Hours, where, um, we get all this sort of interesting stuff with John D, like his beliefs and philosophies and his actions. This is just him screaming. I mean, he's... sort of, but only because he's he's faced with a dream. I okay. think you know it's it's so. This Go is ahead. the issue where we see the outside world in these first two pages of the madness, um, all done with only pops of color. It's kind of implied that Dream has been watching the madness and realizes he must interfere. Um, I love the title page of just this one small panel. Um, it feels very much like almost a book cover. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or like a movie poster. Yeah. And we go essentially start to go through what's going to be this battle um, of Dream essentially saying, no, you, you you can't do this, Dr. D, because it's not meant for the power isn't meant for you, you're corrupting it, and it is killing you. Um, and D is visibly deteriorating. Um, at, at this point, um, uh, Mike Dringenberg is dr- slowly drawing D with less detail throughout. Um, and because D is angry, Dream convinces him to face him in the dreaming, um, which he is convinced makes him a coward. Um, and we intersperse this with uh, quite a lot of the madness. Uh, some we have um, again 
con- content warning for some very dark imagery. Um, yeah. Just listen, you can hear it. Uh, okay. no. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> um, and the dream is John D's dream is a dream of a man as Caesar. Um, as Ju- as a Madden Julius Caesar. Uh, uh, with all of the complexes that John D has had. Um, initially seeing these three female or- um, oracles who turned then into three helm dreams and then the three brides of Frankenstein um, all about um, of John thinking ah he can actually have power in this realm uh, the layouts of this issue go insane oh, um, it, it builds there are several small references to different stories uh, there's a reference to Annie at one point uh, and we find out that the world is asleep and the fate of the world rests on this dream. Um, there's this point where the dreamstone looks like an apple. Um, and the dreaming itself is shaken to its core. Eve is taken out of her cave with her raven cawing at the havoc. We see um, Goldie, Cain, Abel, and Gregory under, their, under the bed as monsters hiding. And we get our first look at another one of the Endless for one very brief moment of in the Garden of Forking Ways, Destiny finds himself for the first, first prefer perhaps for the first time, hesitant to turn his, the, to the next page in his book. Um, and D is doing this, and Dream isn't really responding until the moment that... D lets out his last lash. He takes on this skull for a head, and he finds himself in a white void. Which is the most striking single page in this entire issue. Um, oh, yeah. Just the completely white background with just the image of, of D there. Um, so good. Um, and D is, like, happy that he has... He believes he has obliterated everything. That he is the he king of won. dreams. Um, he won. He dances around in this white void until he realizes that the white void he is standing in is Dream's white hand, and Dream is just massive, and it's just, oh, it's fucking beautiful. I love uh, it. And this okay. is the first time Dream actually realizes he has changed. Mm-hmm. Instead of exacting the same sort of vengeance he did on Alex Burgess, he thanks John. Um... Uh, he says it has been a long time. I had forgotten. I'd forgotten how much uh, how much of my power I had placed in that jewel. How much of it had, was denied to me? Um, because at this point, D has destroyed uh, the ruby, and um, and Dream sort of realizes in, the, in this moment that he doesn't need it. Um, and it's 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 this eye opening moment for him. And and Dringenberg purposefully draws Dream is very content here. You know, even just even just the way he draws Dream's body language when he's massive here and he like leans over and he slumps and holds his knees, you know, just really, really cool stuff that I think just perfectly gives across the whole vibe of this scene um, as uh, as Dream just sort of lets John go. And he 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 returns John D to Arkham Asylum. Um, we get another look at Scarecrow here because, of course, we do. And um that's pretty much that. <laughs> yeah, we we end with Dream giving the entire world 
one night of nice sleep. Uh, we end on this nice narration um, of the only noise is the gentle even cadence of people asleep in, out, in, out. Listen, you can hear it. And I love the way it ends. <laughs> For the original printing, this was actually where the first volume ended because the when they initially printed the Sandman in trade format, they started with the they started with the second arc before going back to do preludes and nocturnes, uh, which is fascinating. Yeah, uh, um, fascinating choice. But also the the final tagline of it is "Next, a death in the family," which is so <laughs> perfect. <laughs> and this oh, no. is eighty nine, so I'm wondering. I'm genuinely curious. Oh, oh, it, it was definitely it was definitely a play on the batman story yeah <laughs> yeah um and then we get the best cover as we go into our uh, our last issue of this collection oh um, yes that, that's a good one yeah um yes. and I, this uh, is, yeah the sound this of is the wings. big one boy this is familiar um watchers of blood Donut studios it is the second most popular video on, on the channel at the time of recording this but we did a scene of this um we performed this first scene here from this issue me and my friend taya um his dream her is death and it's it was a good time you should check it out so and we had brian play a child brian plays a child as as he always does <laughs> um but yeah this is the sound of her wings and Ah, oh, goddamn. <laughs> it's so good. Um, Dream so, is sitting in a park, feeding pigeons. A, a soccer ball, I guess a football, is kicked his way. He grabs it and gives it back to the kid. Um, he's approached by a woman dressed in all so, black. Uh, I'm curious how people at the time would have taken this character because... There's no indication um, that this is one of the endless. Yeah, right? true. Um, but there is also it, like there's no real dialogue to to really say like what her role in the universe is. We know that she's Dream's sister. We learn that pretty quickly, um, and then it's only throughout the rest of the issue that we find out who and what she is. Um, and. Well, I love the coding of Mary Poppins. Style, the Mary Poppins yeah. dialogue. Um, again, Dream, like, Dream 1 would not be the kind of person that goes see us, Mary Poppins, but 2, he's been gone for, like, 80 years. Yeah. Once again, those things that, like, pop culture references that most people would make, you know, just Dream just wouldn't get, and I think that's a very deliberate choice on Gaiman's end for how many he of, had uh, Dream missing from the world. It reminds me of just, like, the Winter Soldier, just, like, I'll put it on the list to, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just catching up. Except, except Dream will not experience any of this realistically. Oh no, no. He um, he's he'll live forever and he'll still never find time to watch also, it. Also, de death has gotta be the most busy endless, right? <laughs> like right, how, right. how has she seen Mary Poppins? <laughs> well, death is everywhere. So true. true. She's probably put it together from I'm I wonder how many people have died watching Mary Poppins. I'm sure there's a fair few. Well, she also, you know, takes a day every 100 years to become mortal. Um, so, she may have just... What? Oh, yeah, that's the thing. She takes a day every year to become mortal. Oh, wow. Cool. <laughs> Man, I gotta read more uh, of this. It sounds great. <laughs> that's also not in the Sandman itself. That can be seen in the Death miniseries. Uh, the High Claws Anyway, um, but yeah, so Death is here mostly to give Dream a talking to because 
he went on this giant revenge quest. He feels unfulfilled by it, and he never even called her. <laughs> and that's all she wants. She's she's like she's like Heath Ledger's Joker. All she wants is a phone call. And also, so, just the sibling energy. Like, oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. I love it. I Death is the big it. sister that everybody wants to have because yeah. she lets Dream go on this rant, and she's you know listening on laid out on on a bed of roses, um, and. Then gets her turn to call him, you know, utterly the most, the stupidest, most self-centered, appallingest excuse for an anthropomorphic, anthropomorphic personification on this or any other planet. And if you want to hear that said properly out loud, go watch the video. <laughs> and which, she bips, which Taya fucking nailed. <laughs> wasn't that the line that was like quoted verbatim in the show? I think so. They, oh they, yeah, they, it they, is. They did a lot of quotes verbatim in the show. Okay. Look, okay. look, the one thing they didn't do properly was the bip. There wasn't a bip. I demanded the bip. True. There is also, they also cut most of the whole Mary Poppins conversation. Yeah, that might be Wright's things. Pro- yeah, probably. Yeah. 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 But, yeah. Anyway, so another football has kicked our way. Death catches it, just like Dream. Hands it back to the kid. Uh, his name is Franklin. He says, hey, cool. He wants to buy her a soda. He calls her a fox. It's the late 1980s. Um, and uh, and he's like, hey, can I see you again? And she's like, sure, Franklin. You'll see me again soon. He's like, okay. <laughs> hey, how'd you know my name's Franklin? And they've disappeared. And... Also, like, we've never actually said that this is death. Yeah, yeah. Um, We're about so... to find out, though. And we get, we get our first oh, glimpse of it enough. with some casual 80s racism. Uh, I'm not sure it. I mm. yeah. Mm, I mean, it is, but also I wonder if Gaiman was intending just he was drawing on things that did kind of happen. Yeah, like, and there's also a... just. I mean, like, we're, we're talking about the use of the word, right? Like, that's, that's all we're referring to here. Like, oh, people also say, because he was pretending to be a, a Jew pretending to be a Romany, uh, people will take issue with that. I mean, it's, it's just, that's sort of the whole point of the issue, though, is that it's just, it, we're just coming in on people's lives, no matter, like, who they are, what they did. It's just, it's... And the idea the, being the, that... The idea, the idea being, and that's the point of this issue, is... is death as a character is fair she's you know everyone gets the same thing um and she's a and the idea that everyone faces themselves at the end yeah Um, yeah and it is honestly it's a sequence of very sweet scenes that also go to some really dark places because yeah yeah. um uh, there's also some question general general questions asked of why people fear death when being lost in dreams is perhaps more powerful. Um, death is just there at the end to offer you the end of your life. Like the second person they visit is a comedian who who has a first off has a horrible accent. My God, um, it, it's it's a it's a loose live wire uh, as she's performing on stage and she touches it and she gets electrocuted and fucking dies and she's taken away and it's 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 again just the same thing that that this character offers everyone 
Um, and in, in between all these, we hear, of course, the sound of her wings. Yeah, which is um, like, the story gets its name, and it's fucking beautiful, and it's just... Oh, we oh, have, man. then, perhaps the harshest. Oh, this is fuck. the one. This is the one. Oh, um, man. Okay, yeah, I mean, mass- massive, massive content warning. Uh, baby death. Um, uh. <laughs> <laughs> now, Mason, I know this was in particular, in particular difficult for you to go yeah. through. Was yeah, it worse well, now that you, now that Gaiman gave the baby dialogue, and you see the I, mother? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It made it worse. Yeah. Um, I, the, I think um, the sh- I think one thing I'll give the Netflix series over this is I think the baby talking is a little silly. Well, yeah, and again, it's another one of those things that only really works in the fact that it's a comic. You know, you can't really necessarily adapt that to a TV show because it'll just look fucking ridiculous. And it's a really harsh scene, and you don't want to take away from the reality of that moment. Um, yeah, because we then have you know a montage of different deaths. Yeah. Um, um, Someone overdosing, uh, someone drown, uh, someone in a hospital bed, somebody someone just... shot. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's rough. It's it's really really rough. Um, but it's also kind of comforting in a way, like just in the way that death is portrayed, just as just a thing that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, especially in the U.S., we have a very I've said it before. We have a very weak relationship with death. It's sort of one of those taboo topics that we do not discuss, and perhaps world life would be better if we actually sat down and had to face it in our modern society. Like, actually face it, and not just turn away in fear. Which uh, is quite the topic to be having on the Silly Comic Book Podcast. Yeah, well, this is Neil Gaiman. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it is at this point I have to reveal that a couple of my friends at work found out that I do a podcast, and they wanted to listen to some of the episodes I was on. So if if you guys are listening to this one, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm it's, not, uh, it's not typically like this. <laughs> yeah, usually it's like us making fun of like weird like art for the women and like an eighty Superman comic or something. I don't know. Like, yeah, yeah, it's it's uh it's it's not usually like this. Um, but when it is. I think it makes it all the more special that the, the, a comic like this is such an outlier. And I also um, may or may not have written. Sh- I may have written a, a, an academic paper in college about the Sandman talking about death. Um, did I quote this issue directly? Yes. Did I also quote other I'm future issues directly? Yes. What it, what line you quoted from this issue? Uh, I quoted this, and I quoted quite. Uh, I quoted. Um, uh, I believe I quoted the line about. Fear of death's land over dreams land, and then I quoted quite a bit of men of good fortune. Mm. What <laughs> I, I always forget what issue it it's in. I know a lot of people mistake it for being in this one. The... It's in it's the one. It's in brief lives. Yeah, you oh. get what everyone else gets a life. And yes, I did quote that. I did quote yeah, that, which is ugh, just. Oh my god. Anyway, let's finish out the issue. Um, we catch back up with Franklin, who dies. The end. Um, yeah, he runs into the street and is run over by a car. And we again, we're ending this issue on such a like, which should be such a harsh note, but but death walks uh, walks off with Franklin almost like a friend, and Dream walks away from that situation with renewed hope. It seems um, it's the first time we in the Sandman that we ever see Dream of the Endless smiling. 
Yeah, the last line yeah. here that we close out on, on dreams in our monologue is, um, uh, there's much to do in my kingdom, much to restore, much to create, but that can wait. I have found the solace I sought, though not in the way I imagined. From dreams I conjure a handful of yellow grain. I throw the grain into the air, and I hear it. The sound of the wings. And that's, that's it. That's and that's where we end today, that's, I think. That's preludes and nocturnes. Um, I just, look. It normally on a podcast episode with only eight issues. Um, I would try to like you know have a decently paced conversation. But first off, we have two guests, and also this is the Sandman, and it, it I I I had to give it the time it deserved. This is already I think nearing two and a half hours. I don't have an exact time what I'm looking at, but uh, it's it, it deserves it. It's it's truly one of the greatest comics of all time. Yes, it um, is. It's one of my favorite stories. Is is a master at, at at his craft, um, and the fact that this this story came so early in his career, um, is a real testament to that, and uh, and and what yeah. he was truly capable of in uh, in, in his work. Um, the sound of her wings is one of the most beautiful com single issues of a comic I've ever read. Twenty four hours is one of the most brutal issues of a comic i've ever read and they happen there's a single issue that happened between them that happens between them and it's just it's the ability to balance such tones and themes and such a complex story while still keeping it in such a core base emotional level um and, is what makes the sandman so special i believe and, and there are things that game would change there are things in the sandman that do age Poorly, throw a check Twitter while I'm talking real quick. Um, <laughs> uh, oh no, yeah, we got another. He's back, my son. He made it. What? He's here. What? Oh, okay, it's just a comment. Good. Okay, at Joey can read this. Rules Panda says, "Hooray!" I agree. He, Thank he you. He also says, "I have no questions. I'm just really excited." <laughs> <laughs> um, love, okay, this is my favorite Twitter user of all time. I love you so much. <laughs> um. Uh. Yes. So yeah, preludes and and preludes and nocturnes is all that. It is the prelude. Um. The next volume of the Sandman you get, you get to see. Actually, I find it weird that Sean Franco said there isn't a narrative thrust because in the immediate next volume there is a narrative thrust. Mm -hmm. Where there I mean, is a narrative the, thrust. The, the, ne the next volume is the story that introduces where the Sandman will end. Yeah, like, and then and then like and then there's a break, a breather for four issues. But even then, none of those issues are unimportant. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I'd argue none of the seventy-five issues are unimportant. Yeah, uh, everything is. I mean, in true Sandman fashion and dealing with high concepts of gods and the endless and all that shit. Nothing is unimportant in the grand scheme of things. As well as life, humanity, and telling stories. Why we tell stories. Uh, and I love it. I really hope our two guests loved it as well. Any uh, closing comments from our two guests? You go first. I, I don't have anything until we you know, get to the closing and the plugs and stuff. All right, fair enough. Mason? All right. And yeah, I guess The Sandman was an interesting story to experience, like, over time, because, you know, the first thing I ever saw of it was the Netflix adaptation, which was very 
And like when I watched the Netflix adaptation, if if you've like listened to that previous episode of the podcast, I knew literally nothing about the story. Like I didn't know what the characters were going to be. I didn't know what the story was going to be for the first 30 minutes. I thought it was going to be a period piece. And I was like, Oh, cool. And then it just, you know, (laughs) it like kept going and I was like, Oh, I see. And, you know, just, and like experiencing it as like an audio drama and experiencing it as a comic, it's like, it's so cool to see a story that could be told in so many different ways. And like to have it come from like, you know, just, like a DC comic and, and, and like, I, I don't say that to bash DC comics at all. Cause DC comics are, have some of the most creative stories that I've ever heard about. I haven't read a lot of them, but they're genuinely like amazing to hear about. It's, it's just like to have a story that is so universal among, like among any format you tell it, it's really special. And the fact that again, like, like you said previously, like the fact that Neil Gaiman thought of it so early in his career is really impressive. Like it's, it, it changes anyone who experiences it. I feel like, cause I've like, I've, I've not met a lot of people, one who have read the Sandman, but like the people who I've met who have read the Sandman, like they don't take it lightly, I guess. Like yeah. everyone's read it and it stays with them. And I think it's so cool that the story has done it for so many people. Yeah, absolutely. Well put, Mason. And uh, I, before we start to close things out, Mason and Marcus, I just want to thank you guys so much for continuing the Sandman journey with us, though, though technically it is the start of it. Um, normally, I guess this is sort of the point of the podcast where we talk about adaptive material, but there is literally an entire episode of the podcast where the four <laughs> of us have already talk, talked about adapting material for the Sandman. So um, a little mentioning it multiple times throughout this episode. Um, yeah. Experience the Sandman somehow. We'll definitely be doing more of it someday, but obviously it's not as big a priority considering Jacob has read all of it. Um, I, I've read it all and the more than once. The goal of the podcast is to have Jacob read new things. But uh, but once again, we're starting a Vertigo block. Jacob's familiar with it. We have people that we can bring on it. It was a great way to spend time with people that I love talking about stories like this with. And, uh, and it gets us in the right frame of mind for where we're going yes. next time on the podcast. Yes. Jacob and Marcus and Mason. And Mason. What do we think? is coming up next on the podcast. I'm going to go last. You two go first. All right, whichever of you would like to take a stab in the dark. Okay. Uh, Vertigo. I only know a handful of Vertigo titles, some of which I own. I don't think it's Alan Moore's Swamp Thing, for reasons. I know it's not Lucifer, because I know neither of you have read Lucifer yet, so I am going to guess Hellblazer. Mm, Okay. Mason? So... I know nothing about anything, and okay. I hear that there are reasons, but I'm going to ignore those reasons, whatever they may be, and say that you're covering Swamp Thing. Okay. And, okay. Uh, so, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Okay, so I know it's a Vertigo block, and I know at least two Vertigo books that you adore, right? One of them has already I, been guessed. I adore a lot of Vertigo books, my friend. You have yeah. a very narrow mind of what I love in DC Vertigo. Well, there are two that come to mind that I know that you adore. Um, so, I have actually three guesses. 
two of them have actually already been mentioned by our guests. I believe it is either going to be Alan Moore's Swamp Thing, John Constantine, Hellblazer, or for the wild card, Garth Ennis's Preacher. Ooh. Never let it be said that Jacob has learned nothing about my taste over over the last 47 episodes of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, right ballpark on all fronts, as far as guesses go. Um, it's not Preacher. I, we're, we're not quite ready for that yet. Okay, um, okay, okay, good, because I think that I might think be so, too much. Here's the thing. We're definitely doing Preacher someday. I don't think Sandman necessarily puts you in the right frame of mind for Preacher. <laughs> I mean, is... to be fair, I don't think anything gets you in the right frame of mind for Preacher. Preacher is is its own thing, and I love it, and it's 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 wonderful. Um, uh, But everyone also, <laughs> also seems to know that I love my Swamp Thing, I love my Hellblazer. It's, it's, it's definitely one of those two. Um, which one? Which one is the question? Um, I don't know. A way, I don't know a way to like drum this up now because everyone is so sure of what I know and love. And your guys right, are right. No. It's fucking next time on Fresh Face Comics. We're talking about Saga of the Swamp Thing, Volume yes! One by Alan Moore. Yeah, um, yes. <laughs> it's uh, yeah. I think it's the first eight issues of Alan Moore's Swamp Thing. It's it's fucking great. It's also our only our second ever Alan Moore thing we cover on the we podcast. Done more. We gotta do more Alan Moore. So this is it. This is us getting back into Alan Moore. So yeah, let's fucking go. I'm so excited to talk Ooh. about Alan Moore Swamp Thing with you. Um, yes! It is a transformative run. It is the reason that Vertigo exists. It's also only our second pre-crisis series because it started in 82 this is true uh yeah started in 82 i know swamp thing i think that that could be started issue 20 something um yeah i think it was 83 or 84 one of those two i forget exactly which um but yeah that's that's that um I'm very excited to talk about it. That'll be next time. Um, and that'll be episode 48. We have one more episode in the Vertigo block, then episode 49, and then a very special episode 50. 15. And then for uh, then we're getting our first ever Marvel block on the podcast, uh, which I'm so, so excited about. Um, we have so many things to talk about. Um, I it, it feels like we're coming to a head with episode 50, but at the same time, there are so many other things that I cannot wait for us to explore on the podcast. Um, yes. We are... We are still so so early in your comic comic book journey it feels um yes yes i'm 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 excited to see what this goes and finally another alan moore yeah finally yeah. so yeah i forget did, did you prematurely buy the box set already uh yeah i found it for cheap you so i got it fucking in. <laughs> i can't with you um Jacob prematurely buys everything. He just assumes what runs we're reading on the podcast. And so, I, he, here's the and thing. so he just buys right. everything. I have begun to know Joey very well. Well, look, you, we're, we're coming up on Marvel soon. You're not going to know me at all. Yeah, right? that's true. That's true. Oh, yeah. yeah. Anyway. I'm um, for Marvel because I'm going to be on some of those episodes, I think. I believe so. I forget exactly which ones we talked about already. But oh, I'll look over those messages. I'll look, o- I'll look over those messages again. I will look over those messages again. <laughs> I, I remember what they were, but I mean, I can't say them out loud. So, you know, <laughs> this is true. This is true. Um, all right. Let's begin to close things out. Plugs, plugs, all kinds of plugs. Uh, uh, Marcus, what do you have to plug? What do you have to promote? What are you working on right now? Tell us what's going on in your life. So basically just my YouTube channel, Sir Jedi Sentinel. I have two ongoing video series right now. Well, three, but one's more um, casual. And when I decide to do it. So one, 
I am reviewing Doctor Big Finish's Doctor Who 60th Anniversary Special Once in Future. I am reviewing the month um the monthly releases as they come out. But the other big thing is I'm doing a weekly series called Batman Be Vlogged. I grew up with the Bruce Tim animated DC universe. Some of them I don't remember, so essentially I'm watching Batman Beyond for the first time. Um and I'm releasing those videos weekly. When this one comes out, let me do some quick math. Um, so this week, your guys' Green Arrow po- episode is coming out, right? The week, uh, yeah, that comes out tomorrow yes. as of recording. Okay, yeah. so yeah, um, yeah, this this is out the thirty first. So yeah. yeah, this this week, um, um, this week, the week we're recording this, I'm releasing my review for the episode Babel. Next week will be the week after that will be Terry's friend dates a robot. So the week this comes out will be the episode Eyewitness. There we go. I love Batman Beyond so much. I just, oh my god! We need to, re- when we do a bonus episode on that, because we're go, I know we're going to eventually. We're totally we need to get Mark. You just need, need to get on your fucking animated universe, Jacob. I'm working on it. I've been get working on that on shit. It. it has been so long since our last one. You got it. It's, it's. I, I'm making decent progress. It's just okay. I was okay. out of town all this weekend, and I haven't had time to watch anything. Okay. There's a lot of media. It takes a while to catch. Thank up you, Mason. Thank no, you. don't I'll, listen to that. And that's why I nope. have not read The Wheel of Time before yet. See, there or, you go. Okay. Or Green I, Lantern I, I, by Jeff Johns, Omnibus <laughs> 1 yet. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I half agree with Mason. Anyway, <laughs> uh, Mason, speaking of, what do you have going on in your life right now? Uh, well, you know, um, so I don't have a very prominent online, I guess, life right now i mean you could follow me on twitter which is uh, the gd256 a very confusing name to try to get new people to say out loud for the first I time i will leave it in the description as always uh that'll be down there um, yeah. I, also say, I also say that at pretty much every single podcast episode so, so the people have heard it enough <laughs> fair yeah and like you know oh yeah because i because i ask the most ridiculous questions for every single episode you guys ever do um True. but yeah like if if you want to like follow me there then I like I don't tweet as much as I used to, but like every so often I'll think of like some stupid joke or like some sincere opinion or point that I have and I just throw them all under the same like lowercase format and just hope people like them. So if if you're interested then you can go see that. It's true. Mason is a funny guy and you should follow him. Oh, thank um, you. Um yeah. Marcus, I realized I totally cut you off. I feel like you had more to say. Did you? No, no you're good. You're good. Okay. All right. Cool. Thank you so much. I just, yeah, plug the YouTube. Yeah. Your Twitter will be linked and I'll, I'll leave your YouTube linked and all that. So Jacob, what do you have going on? So, uh, my blog has still been reviewing uh, Wrestling Davies era of Doctor Who. Um, I'm not entirely sure where we are with this one. I think... Uh, I'll have, you know, when this comes out, I will have just released a review on Human Nature and the Family of Blood. Um, the episodes? Yes. Um, I've also been uh, reviewing Star Trek, the original series, as has Joey in video form. I've been doing it in writing. Um, we'll have both just released our thoughts on the episode Friday's Child. Friday's Child, uh, yes. That'd yes. And, um, um, yeah. Also, various book reviews um, and things. Yeah. Uh, I don't know um, what I'll have been reviewing when this episode comes out because those aren't nearly as planned. Yeah, 
Uh, but yeah, your link tree, which is a link to literally everything that you just mentioned, yes. it's, it'll be down in the description. It'll be there. So yeah. Um, and uh, I guess for me, uh, subscribe to Blood, Blood Donut Studios if you haven't already. Uh, there's been a really nice subscriber influx on there recently at the time of recording this. So that's yes. that's really there's, nice. There's Again, a non-zero chance that by the time this comes out, you'll have passed 300 subscribers. It's possible, but I'm yeah. not getting my hopes up. So, um, otherwise, uh, be sure to uh, like and uh, rate the, the podcast and leave a review or a comment, whatever, wherever you're listening to us on. Um, be sure to do that. It, it, it helps a lot. Be sure to no. share the podcast around wherever you're listening to us. It means a lot. Um, also, uh, like Jacob mentioned, I'm releasing Star Trek reviews weekly with my brother. Uh, you could also go t- uh, support my coffee, uh, which is in my link tree and everything, um, to get those Star Trek videos early. Also, um, Night Terrors. Night Terrors, uh, Fresh Face One-Shots. Yeah, uh, so Night Terrors is going on right now. Uh, it's the big DC summer event. It's a big horror-themed nightmare shit. It's fucking awesome. Featuring Wesley Dodds and... We're mentioned on this Um... Yeah, so that's uh, that's that, and uh, what else? Uh, oh yeah, Breaking Brian. Uh, that this comes out on the 30 31st. So we just released our review on Better Call Saul uh, season one recently. So um, we're continuing those monthly reviews for the rest of the year. Uh, August through December is Better Call Saul seasons two through six, uh, and uh, of course we have reviewed all of Breaking Bad uh, already, all five seasons of that, as well as the movie El Camino. Um, so that's all there. And I guess that's about it. That, that's about real, it. real yes. quick, real quick. Um, I'll ask you this on recording. So if the answer is no, then then this will provide a fun little teaser. Should we talk about the thing that uh, Joey and Jacob and I might be doing? Oh uh, yeah. You know what? Yeah, I think so. I think we could okay. record that sometime in the near future. Definitely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mason, you, you, you announce it. You do it. You have a oh, okay, thanks. So, <laughs> so one of my favorite things that I did with uh, these guys um, back when we were all on Security Kitchen was commentary tracks. We would do commentary tracks for various classic Doctor Who stories. Um, one of the most memorable ones for me was uh, always The Two Doctors. <laughs> like, I really enjoyed that one. Where Brian and, literally died. Oh, yeah. It was great. It was fun. <laughs> um, and so I, I had always wanted like to do that sort of thing again. And a while ago on Discord, I, I brought up this idea because it, it, it might have been after we recorded the Green Lantern video, actually. I think so, actually, yeah. yeah. And I was like, you know, hey, I mean, I'd like to do, you know, like commentary tracks again because those were fun. And like there are a lot of really good and really bad movies that a lot of us haven't seen. And like, so, um, so uh, on, on the channel... Yeah. Um, sometime soon, we're not sure when, but we are, I, th- I think the first of the commentary tracks we are going to be doing <laughs> is for Steel. Steel, uh, starring Shaquille O'Neal. Um, I think, Jacob, I think we joked about it on the podcast, right? It was we like, joked about it way back when the it podcast was during first one started. of the Death of Superman episodes, way back when the Fresh Face Comics was in the single digits of episodes. We joked yeah. that we were going to do a Steel commentary, and, uh, and it, it just never amounted to anything. So, but but here we are. We're actually doing it. Uh, me, Jacob, and Mason, and it's gonna be fucking insane. I'm sure. I saw it once a very long time ago. I know for a fact it's bad. I just don't remember much about it. Um, and I've I've never seen it. You've never seen I've it. Also, I've never, never seen, seen it. it. It's 
it's it's gonna be fucking wild. So yeah, I watched <laughs> I, I watched the Chris Stuckman review of it. So like, I know a bit about like the story and like certain parts of it, but like, I've never seen the full movie. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that's gonna be really fun. Oh my god, I can't wait for that. <laughs> um but yeah i guess that about does it um also all my link tree my link tree will be in the description below as well as the uh book that we covered on this podcast sandman preludes and nocturnes as well as our next book on the podcast saga of the swamp thing volume one um which i'll leave the single volume and i guess the big box set that they the have big box set. volumes i'll have both of those down there in the description those are all be in amazon links and you can check those out and buy them if you want or whatever you want to keep up with the podcast and i guess that actually really does it does it wow it's almost <laughs> like having guests on the podcast makes the episodes longer isn't it um, yes wow okay uh i guess that about does it uh thank you all so much for listening jacob you want to sign us out um yeah thank you all so much for listening um as all uh, uh, and until the next time this has been jacob licklider uh joey morgan Marcus May- mason Peterson. Goodbye. Goodbye.